All right, episode three zero. Nice round, big number for the WMT podcast. How about it? That's a good number. Thirty, Shane. It is a good number. It's also Shane's age. It is. I'm, a lot younger I'm than older, you. so I can't yeah, talk I'm a shit. A lot younger than you. So a lot. Is it a lot? <laughs> I feel like it's like uh, you're six sevenths my age. You're a, you're a half. You're a half decade older than I am. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, if you if you say it like that, it's a lot, but. <laughs> if you if you put, break it down to fractions, it's not nearly as bad. Um, but anyway, uh, man, this Sunday, Bojams, good fifth on you, annual. Dude. How do you feel fun. about it? Yeah, that I, was a good dude, time. It was the best ever. For it's the best Bojams ever. Um, I was able to delegate a lot more of what was going on, so I was able to concentrate on just the music production, uh, just making sure everyone was having a good time. And uh, except for my buddy Clint. Got sick at like five thirty and had to leave. Oh, did uh, that happen? Clinton charged security. Yeah, and uh, he got he got really sick. Said he felt like he was gonna pass out. Didn't even say anything to me. Um, I went and and talked to my music production guy, and he said, "Hey, your security guy came and gave me this envelope and said he had to go." I was like, "What? <laughs> nah." <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so I just found the uh, the most responsible looking security guard and said, "Guess what? You're in charge now." <laughs> I didn't know that happened, man. Yeah. So the last thing you'll hear from me is at 8.30, I need two of your guys down at the main stage, just because if shit's going to pop off, that's normally when it does. So just have you guys stand there. Easy money. So, I don't know. It was good. What was your What was your favorite? Were there any uh, takeaways? The crawfish was extra spicy this year. Spicy. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that was dope. Uh, Zuma was phenomenal. Um, I haven't seen them play since shit. What? Last year, they, were they play four twenty five. That was two year? years ago. Two years ago, mm-hmm. um, it was good, man. Um, in business was outrageous. Yeah. Where are they? <laughs> New Orleans, Nola. Yeah. dude. Yeah, they're coming back in like a month. That was Champs. Uh, they do a space odyssey jazz <laughs> thing. That's crazy. <laughs> Something about the multiverse. Yes, the multi. They have to save the multiverse from the lack of funk. It was rad. <laughs> Absolutely rad. Spaceships, funk. That's awesome. Yeah, it was funny. Someone. Um, I, I know who it was. I just won't, I won't put them on blast. But someone was like, man, these guys remind me of Alabama Shakes. I was like, no, they fucking don't. It's just because she's a mixed woman who can With sing. A bunch of white that's dudes. It. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only similarity. Like, these dudes are funky. Like, it's not, this isn't Southern rock or, yeah, you know, soul, whatever. This is, this is. Fun. Oh, I know who that was. And I called him an yeah. idiot as well. <laughs> but it's okay. He was. He had been drinking all day, as had most people. <laughs> yeah. By the time we got to this point, uh, at Bo Jams. Um, anyway, uh, getting into our guests. Like I said, episode thirty. That's pretty. That's pretty rad. Uh, a couple things that we're doing uh, before we get into our guests. Uh, the month of April. It has been brought to my attention, Shane, that we lack diversity on this podcast. We do lack diversity, and and I can agree with that. And that, no, that's not on purpose. And only that's not our fault. We yeah. try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But mainly in, uh, I wouldn't say we lack diversity. We've had several no. races. We lack the, sexual we, preference. Yeah, we we lack uh, the opposite sex. Yes, yes, we're batting one out of ten on average, <laughs> and we, we we've discussed that several times. Uh, but it's becoming noticeable to our listeners as well. Uh, and with I believe March is like Women Appreciation Month, if I'm sure, correct. So. Um, at least there was Women's Appreciation Day that yes. that happened to fall in March. So we decided that for the month of April. Strong women. So we have two booked already, but we're still looking for a couple more guests. 
So uh, send us an email. You know someone? Put, uh, send them our way. We'd love to have them on. Um, and uh, going into episode 30, we get halfway there. This is uh, it's a good transition to get you guys back to where we need to be. There's uh, Skip Shipper and Leila DiPolo, I would call an outdoors power couple. Uh, we went really long on this one and without really even noticing it. Uh, if, if you'll notice, bo- both my guests are, are quite the conversationalists as well. Uh, and we get into a bunch of different things. Uh, we start out, Skip actually hosts trivia. Oh, really? So we had that in common from the get-go. So that, that, that was a lot of fun starting out. But then he's he's a park ranger. Leila takes people on snorkeling trips and dive trips and like scalloping trips and Port St. Joe and stuff. So he's doing, he's doing a big year, which do you know what that is? No. Well, you're going to find out in this episode. <laughs> it's when you can name as many birds as you can. You, you, you observe birds mm-hmm. and you write down your lists. There's actually a movie about it with Owen Wilson, Jack Black, and uh, like one other person in it called The Big Year, Steve Martin. Okay. And uh, so anyway, we, we talk about him. He got his big year, which uh, in Florida, you need over 200 species of birds. And uh, he finally got it. Got his big year. So okay, it's yeah. bizarre. We got to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I hope you all listen. Uh, enjoy. I hope you listen. Oh, I hope you enjoy listening. Uh, hit us up, wimt.podcast at gmail.com, especially if you'd like to nominate uh, a, a lady boss, a strong female. woman. Female, lady, girl, however you'd like to say it, uh, to be on our show. We'd love to have them. Hit us up, y'all. Enjoy listening to Skip Shipper and Leala DiPolo. All right. Uh, here we go, live on the Wimt Podcast. I think this is episode thirty, actually. Oh, nice, a moving good, right along. A yeah. good round good. number, right? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of an impromptu, an impromptu one because I have, I have my friends uh, Leila DiPolo and Skip Shipper in town from. The what Apalachicola area, I guess we'll say that's that right. Whole, yeah. Saint Joe, we'll say the Forgotten Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Forgotten Coast. There we go. Um, came in town for uh, for Bojams to hang out, and uh, ended up crashing over at my place, and was like, let's do a, let's do a fucking podcast. Let's so do here it. we are, absolutely. And also, I don't know if I've told you this yet, and Skip, you're kind of our transition into this, but um, I was told that we were uh, somewhat lacking diversity on my podcast, okay. so I'm doing. The whole month of April, and, and Leila, it's going to be all females. Women. Oh, nice. Rah. Yes, I wanted some more women. I am, yeah. a, I am a great transition for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're kind of like, you know, because I, I think I've had three women guests on here. And it's not on purpose. It's just, you know, most of my, most of my friends are dudes. Right. You yeah. know, like I can't, I can't have a bunch of female friends when I'm... No, not when I'm, you're married. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but anyway, we're going uh, to start doing that. And, uh, so well, I was I was nice. raised by a, a single mother, so yeah. I feel like you know I'm a little bit more sensitive, a little yeah. bit more. I can I can fit that You're demographic a little more. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I guess let's start off. Um, first of all, let's just let's talk about you guys for a minute. Uh, power couple. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Recently, power, power couple of the forgotten kids. <laughs> recently engaged. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. That's pretty cool. Um, so so yeah, what do you guys do? What? 
I'd say we're the outdoor power couple. Uh-huh. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm a captain and dive instructor. Uh, Skip's lucky enough he's a park ranger. Yeah, I am a park ranger at St. George Island State Park. Uh, yeah. Down on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Pretty awesome. And I wish, Shane, I, I wish Shane was here, too. Shane's not here with us today, but... Um, he, he's actually a trivia host as well. Oh man. Oh, so right. we could like, well, it's good that we're not in the same room. It might've been like two dogs. You never know how the situation is going to go. <laughs> it's, it's, I've never been around other, other trivia hosts, <laughs> you know? So it's one of those things where who <laughs> like, knows like how. Food, like food aggression. Right. Exactly. I'm like, Oh, you ask questions about star Wars too. Got it. Yep. Are so, they hard or easy? <laughs> but they, they, um, the, the format over at Mellow's, uh, I think they, I think the third round's always like a specific. I don't know. I, I haven't done it in a long time. Like I host like once or twice a year for them. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, do they provide the questions in the categories, or Shane provides all the? questions? Yeah, the, the hosts categories? write the questions. Right, mm-hmm. that's what I do too. Yeah. I'll say that by far that's the hardest thing about. Like it, it's so ridiculous that I'm a park ranger, and by far the job that I stress more about is getting 20 questions for trivia every week. <laughs> because you have to, like, try and... There, especially, you have to, like, have such a bridge of demographics. Mm. Because I've got, like, three teams that are local that are all, like, 55-plus. And that's being very generous to the teams. They're, like, 65-plus. <laughs> yeah. And then the other teams are all, like, biologists from DP who are, like, 25 to 30 so then it's like, anytime I ask a question about a movie that's come out in the last, like, 20 years, the old people are like, well, how is anybody supposed to know who, <laughs> who Chris Farley is? You know, I asked a question, and it was, like, quotes, and it was, uh, finish this quote, and it was, you'll have plenty of time for that when you're living in a van, blank. Yeah. Right. And so half, got it? half the room is like, oh, yeah, good times, remember that quote? Yeah. <laughs> and then the other half of the room is like, I don't was it was it Chaucer? Who was that that yeah, had they that follow up question? Yeah. And so then I was like, I'll even give you guys a hint. Uh, it was Chris Farley playing a character who said it. Mm. And then one of the teams is like, Can you clarify it more? And I'm like, if you can't get it from living in a van and Chris Farley, this isn't your question. You're just not gonna get it. Like yeah. I can't clarify it more. Isn't it funny how much people will complain at trivia? Oh my god. You're like, we're asking, it's fun. We're asking right. questions. You either know it or you don't. You're a team, you're a team of twelve people. That absolute best case scenario is gonna split thirty dollars. <laughs> you're all gonna be able to get a Diet Coke. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like, maybe. Two of you are gonna have to share it. Yeah, the the teams at Mellow, I think the first place gets fifty, but they, they'll save it up for the end of the trivia season because they do it during the summer you can't do it just because it gets too crazy over there. Right. So like some of the teams will save up all their fifty dollar certificates for the end of the year and like go in there with like eight hundred bucks. Oh, and I've have got, just a huge party at the end of the I've year. I've got teams that have like a treasurer. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> and they come up to me and they say it like, "I'll take that because I'm the team's treasurer." Like I'm supposed to give them like a secret handshake that it's awesome that they've established that yeah. they're a trivia team. One lady was like, "Yeah, my friends in Atlanta think I'm crazy because I always tell them I got to get back down for trivia on Tuesday." And I'm like, "Oh, you are crazy because yeah. you should definitely stay in Atlanta. There's way better things to do in Atlanta than come down here and so hear me like, ask a question." You're like about- God to these people. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I walk. They, they, like, they, they applaud of- when I walk in. <laughs> 
which I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I don't mind. I went to school for theater. I don't mind being on stage, but I'm really like awkward about like praise about the thing that I'm doing. I'm happy to do a good job at something, uh-huh. but I'm real awkward about praise because I got made fun of a lot when I was a kid. So I like have that thing where it's like every bit of praise is somebody like secretly making fun of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, so I'm always weird about it. So even when they're clapping, I feel like it's like facetious. Yeah. Clapping, but it's uh, not. You know what? That makes sense, though. Even, like, yesterday when, the, like, the bands were giving me shout-outs and stuff, right. I don't like that. No. I don't it's want like that. It's like, I'd rather, I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather everybody just enjoy this. Absolutely. And we all recognize that I did a good job. Yeah. And nobody say anything about yeah. it. Yeah. I can see all you having fun. Right. You know, like, that's cool enough. Somebody yeah. give me a good finger gun, and that's all I need. You know what I mean? But, like, one time I came in, and they clapped. And when one, that's one team that claps. But then when they clap, everybody else feels obligated, which makes me feel even more awkward. So then there's like two other teams that'll clap. Do you call them out on it? Like, no. Hey, ben, like, I'd, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> no. I kind of feel like gonna, you're fucking well, one with time, me. One time I said uh, th- their team name. I don't want to get too... Well, I don't know. I strongly doubt that they're going to be listening to this podcast. The 65 plus crowd. Now I, now I know, I know that you're trying to broaden your demographics here. You're trying to make it a more uh, inclusive show. You'll have to talk about like uh, opera or something. That's what they always ask me to do like questions about. Um, but they made a trivia round or a, a category or a name. That's what it is. And it was uh, Skip, our trivia daddy. And I was like, and I, and I, I I'll like make fun of the teams. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big advantages of it is that they really like me and they think that I like them as much as they like me. <laughs> so I can say some like pretty savage stuff to them, but they think that it's just like skip joshing around yeah. with them. When and I, really I'm like, you know, looking them dead in the mm-hmm. eye and I'm like, but, um, I was like, and I think that backfired on that team because I think they thought I was going to be flattered. But I'm really creeped out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the lady came up to me afterwards and she was like, I just want to let you know, like, I don't want to, like, I wasn't trying to do anything. She's like, uh, there, we were watching this thing about a trivia show and that's what the hosts call themselves as a trivia daddy. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. I was just mm. making fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what you call me. That was my favorite part about hosting trivia was it was almost like working on stand-up material. Right. Like I I all I would do, my job to, was to go in there and try to talk shit to people. Oh yeah. And they love make it. make fun of them. And they love yeah. it. Because they think that you're joking around. Well you partly are, but you're probably like this is great. Right. Because it's the stuff it's the stuff that you would think would offend them if you said it in any other for some reason, having a microphone mm-hmm. allows you to say stuff to them and it like lightens it because mm-hmm. somehow you're like performing. Mm-hmm. That's just like people go to these Dick's Last Resort where it's just a restaurant where the waiter and you like tip the waiter based on how well they insult you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which I always thought was a great gig yeah. because then like if you're like slow with their service, you could just be like, oh, well, you guys suck. So I was slow with your service. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I was wondering like, what if your food was legitimately shit? Yeah. How do you talk to yeah. that waiter and go, oh, excuse me. Yeah, uh, I'm my, not paying my burgers for this. Cooked, and they go, oh, well, listen to your fuck face. You're going to eat it. And you're like, oh, well, I guess that's what I paid for. I don't know. I got to tip that guy an extra 10. He called me fuck face and made me eat a raw burger. That Dick's is a great place. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. Man. Uh, Post and trivia. Crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, 
There might be one person like listening to this that can relate. Who yeah. Also yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> like, yeah, this went this went real broad is how it started. Yeah. You were like, we're gonna include more people. We've got yeah. more women on the show, yeah. and we're gonna spend twenty minutes talking about hosting yeah. trivia. I wait for Skip to walk in, and then I walk in five minutes later just so that I don't have to deal with any of that awkwardness. I accidentally yes. announced that I was engaged at trivia, and. Um, Nobody knew who my fiance was. Yeah, we go well, to trivia almost every week together, I but we to, come in separately. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have to be incognito because I don't want to be accused of keep cheating. Mm-hmm. So I don't want them to think that I have the answers ahead of time or anything like that because I do play regularly yeah. and I do not have any prior knowledge of anything that's going to happen. Sometimes the categories, but that's it. Mm. Um, so don't I try to be separate while we're in front of people because I know that those older people would probably. You know, decapitate yeah. me, play <laughs> trivia, really and accuse me of cheating, or they or they take away my gift card. Mm. The team that won last week came up to me afterwards and told me that one of my answers was wrong. The team that won. Yeah. How are your answers wrong? Because it's not. Uh, they googled it after. They the Google it and, and then check mm-hmm. what their Google says. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, I can just go on and Google it and find my Google. That's how, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. We can all show each other things. Yeah. We're living in a world of ultimate facts, guys. <laughs> I'm never wrong. I made it a rule that I'm not, whatever my answer is, is the answer. And they yeah. still argue with me. So I had to change it to where now they lose a point if they argue with That's me. That's why they wait till the end of the game, too. And now they come That's up and they idea. still, I know. I never thought of that. But they still argue. What I did last week, somebody argued with me during the thing, and I went, you know what, sir, you're right, I didn't think about it like that, I'm going to give you that point, but you did argue with me, so you lose a point. So you so wash. <laughs> so that you, yeah. <laughs> and you do that, I, I found that too, they're like kids, mm-hmm. you can trick them real easy, I give everybody a point, and they love it. They're, everybody's over the moon, and they don't think about the fact that their score is still the same, all they think about is... We, we got, got a point. point. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've done that. You've given the whole room a point. The whole room a point. Oh, yeah, because they'll be in an uproar about something. You know what I mean? They'll be like, oh, blue whales are 108 and a half feet, not 109 feet. And you're like, I don't know what book you have. And then you're like, I tell you what, everybody gets a point. And they're like, yeah, that's how you handle it. Yeah. And it's like, okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So not to just completely shift uh, off, off the trivia topic, but uh, the... Uh, the conversation we were having this morning that I'd like to get into a little bit, uh, both of you have been doing the ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. and yep. you both had really good results. Yep. So far, so good. Yeah. Now, I did it uh, I did it for a month, 31 days straight, and I was under I was, I was under 20 grams of carbs a day, like literally no, nothing, and uh, was super ketogenic uh, within three days, but I, I dropped zero pounds. Um, and, I'm, and I think we were, we were trying to get to where that was, and I think I... I didn't have enough fat content, and I think uh, my protein was still high, so I think my body was turning protein. Yeah, you need spoonfuls and spoonfuls of fat. Yeah, which is the craziest thing to lose weight. Yeah, it works. So what? What's your what's your diet like on like on a normal day? What do you? Um, it. I usually will go with whatever I'm craving because Mm. that's the easiest way to stay on the diet is to satisfy everything I have. So anything that I want to eat, I will look for a low carb alternative. So you know. I can make a pie crust with like crushed nuts. Uh, yeah, or, or like almond flour. Yeah, stuff, almond flour yeah. or peanuts or something like that. Uh, or cauliflower rice, tons mm. of cauliflower rice, tons of noodles, uh, zoodles with zucchini mm. for all my spaghettis and stuff like that. I can sleep tons of cream cheese, tons of uh, 
dark chocolate. Mm. Um, I can use that in lots of baking dishes, and I can still use artificial sweeteners. Yeah. So I can I just cook a lot. That's the main thing is that there's nothing I can buy from the store. Mm. You know, we go yeah, out to, to eat, and we only eat the pizza toppings, or you eat like a burger patty. There's nothing you can order out. But yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I can cook anything. I can make cheesecakes and. We just had pizza the other night bars. Uh, mm. with a fathead dough, which is a dough that's just made out of like almond flour, cream cheese, and mozzarella cheese. And you like kind of melt it down, and you mix it together, and you roll it out like a dough, and then you bake it, and it makes a pizza crust. So it's like a straight up pizza crust. And then we put the toppings on top of that and baked it, and it, it's pizza. And it's yeah. an already mozzarella flavored pizza crust. Yeah, so it's and you mix better. in whatever seasonings you want on it. So it's probably good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really good. I've used that same dough too, though, and made like cinnamon rolls. I've made like hot pockets with that dough. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like I said, anything I'm craving, I'll just try to find a replacement for it, and that way it makes it easier because we've already been doing this almost two months now <coughs> of yeah. no carbs. Yeah, I rem- it's it's just so crazy because I remember um, about I think it was about a year ago. It was uh, it was a year ago I did it, and I found like I found a this cat might have been four weeks old on the side of the road, and this this lady in Crestview would take the cats. So like I brought the cat up to the lady in Crestview, and on my way back down, I was really hungry. So I stopped by like a Papa John's and I got uh, uh, my own pizza and I felt like the biggest piece of shit in the world because I'm driving in my truck on the way back down to Justin and I'm just grabbing toppings off this pizza <laughs> and shoving yeah. it in my fat fucking face. Right. And I was just like, I'm on a diet. Yeah, I'm, on a diet. <laughs> I'm on a diet. It's going to lay off me, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're just shoving yeah. pizza toppings in your face. Well, like, that's, that's the funniest the thing about the diet is people ask because... Leila, when you ask her the question, mm. she'll give you like a really. She's like, "Oh yeah, lots of like almond flour, and I'll bake whatever I want." I'm like, "Yeah, pizza toppings. You eat a lot of pizza toppings. <laughs> you can have like burgers without buns. Yeah, and a bunch of cheese and bunch mayonnaise. of cheese. <laughs> eat cheese yeah. and mayonnaise. Tons of bacon. Tons yeah, of bacon. yeah, lots of bacon. Bacon gets added into like everything. Bacon wrapped hot dogs the other day. Yeah, uh, well, I don't want to say like a trademark name, but bacon wrapped hot dogs. <laughs> there was a place in Tallahassee that had bacon wrapped hot dogs. We have this like oilless fryer. And so we wrapped the hot dogs in bacon and oil was fried them on a diet. (laughs) And and I've lost 50 pounds in the last two months. Yeah, yeah. And I ate, ate, we had some hot dog bacon wrap, deep fried hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And y'all have both dropped a significant amount in two months. I've lost nearly 20 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy. So between the two of you, you've lost like 70 pounds in in two months. Yep. Yep. And we didn't even start going to the gym until like this last third of the mm-hmm. diet the first right. bit of it was only changing just our eating only change. and yeah. lost the weight just by changing our diet and i feel like the big thing for me is that i've been big my whole life i've mm-hmm. always ever since like i'd say middle school i started putting on weight and i've just been heavy ever since you know i've never really dropped down right now i'm at my high school weight yeah. so i'm at the lowest i've ever been in my adult life um which is awesome and it feels good and with this diet it's like able to happen but it's so much the the stuff that lee's doing as far as like cooking and being on top of that stuff and not having to crave those things you know and i feel like that's really helped with the diet and also that it's never i've never had a diet where i felt like i could really stick with it Mm. and even though this one's not something that's going to be like a good long-term diet because it's it's really unhealthy i mean we're eating when we have coffee in the morning, we're putting like a spoonful of coconut. Yeah, oil I mean, uh, tons of fat. The cholesterol yeah. has to be oh, yeah. insane. That's why you got to watch which fats you're going with mm-hmm. and go with good fats. So like not lots bad of avocados, fats. And yeah. things mm-hmm. like that, where you're trying to add Olive good oil. fats. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really, really helped to have sort of that that motivation of knowing that I'm not like whenever I've done the diet before, uh, I used to make something that I just called scrapple, mm-hmm. and it was just like 
onions and burger meat and cheese, and you mix it together in the frying pan until it's brown, and then that's your dinner. You put a little, maybe some ketchup on it. It's like a burger, sort of, right? Uh, and then to, to see all of these different things, there's so many other options. And with having um, like like Whole Foods, and like we just had a Lucky's Market open, you have so many more options for finding um Alternate, specialty stuff yeah. like mm-hmm. there's so many alternate sugars and sweeteners and, and mm-hmm. flowers and alternate flowers mm-hmm. yeah yeah and to be able to do that stuff I, i've never felt like i was wanting for anything in, in in it you never feel full that's one thing with the diet mm-hmm. you, you never really feel like feel you're full either, but you though. never really feel hungry yeah i had this neutral state yeah it was I, I made a brownie uh i made a brownie cheesecake mm-hmm. when i was on it and it's like i said it's just so strange because you'll eat a piece of cheesecake and you're like I'm gonna eat another fucking piece of cheesecake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally can. You have another piece of cheesecake, exactly. Why not? And it's and it's, it's like so not a, exactly. And and it, like I said, when you try to explain the diet to somebody, you can't. Yeah. All I can do is go. I lost fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. It's got to be doing something. Yeah. I promise. It's. Yeah, my my friend Clint Hill is in. He's in pretty good shape, and he he cut up like big time on it. But I think like like two or three months into it, he started getting like really bad heart palpitations or something. Oh wow. From it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't know that that's a well and I could a see that. side effect. I, I could see that especially if it if it was a major change to like the way that he normally eats. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't taking in all those fats to have like that high of an influx of fats. Yeah. Luckily I've been training my whole life <laughs> to eat heavy fats. So yeah. I think that's why my I really think that that's why my body took to it so well. Yeah. Is because my body was used to having that crap. And you had enough fat to burn out of your body. Yeah. So to begin with, you know, Lee was eating much healthier and much better food than I was. Uh, so her body was already at a better place. And like you were saying, before you started yours, you had been dieting and exercising. I feel like I just had more more on hand to burn. So mm-hmm. my body was like, well, we've got plenty of these reserves. Let's get rid of yeah. this stuff. And with you guys, it was more evenly distributed. So mm-hmm. it wasn't so high on one end. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a big part of why it's helped me. Because it was really just just diet change mm-hmm. and it's like it hit a certain point and i was dropping probably one to two pounds a Every day, day. <laughs> i'd weigh myself in the morning and i'd be like two pounds down so you know it was it was pretty crazy i mean it's still happening we sort of cheated with bojams and the and the barbecue festival coming yeah. down here like i had barbecue sauce yeah, you know, yes, and terrible. I and we and we split two beers yesterday at Bojam. Mm. So things got crazy. Corona lights though, yeah. only four carbs. I took a yeah, that is true. I took a bite out of a potato. That yeah. probably ruined everything. Yeah, that is. That is. That's Keeps a your body really, really high. Yeah, I know. Red potato, thirty four carbs. I know. We looked it up. I I, yeah. <laughs> I have to know the carbs amount of yeah. everything because I can know what I can and can I eat. Dude, it's it's hard though, especially with something like a crawfish boil because oh yeah, you can eat. There's no sides. Potato. We what? had a mushroom. We ate the mushrooms. I ate the mushrooms. Yeah. You can have mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Took a couple bites of corn. Corn yeah. was real good. That yeah. was a mistake because I, I, like, I had one it. bite of the corn. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, well, congratulations. That's exciting. When you guys told me about that this morning, I was like, I was fired up for you guys. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's nuts. And like, and like going to the gym, like it helps. I've never had a diet where I've really seen like results and to see results so rapidly, mm-hmm. you know? So to be able to get that sort of result and see it that rapidly really motivates you. It definitely makes it easier to stay on. Right. Way easier to stay on. Oh, yeah. The, if you, especially if you're weighing yourself every couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, well, we, we were, weigh we were ourselves weighing ourselves every in the morning. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty much every morning. 
But I will say that there was a point where I plateaued and I went up like three pounds. I got ultra depressed because I'm like, oh my God, I went up three pounds. Yeah. I'm no longer high school skip. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, I've screwed everything up. And then I realized like yeah. if I didn't weigh myself that day and just had weighed myself the next day, I'd be at a totally normal weight. Mm-hmm. It's just that that day I ate extra cheese. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah. Big I, I do, uh, whenever I'm doing, like I just did another weight loss competition uh, last month, but I do weigh in Wednesday is what I do. Yeah. So I only weigh myself once a week because it uh, it, re- it really will mess with me if you know I weigh myself and I'm up a couple pounds mm-hmm. like I'll mm-hmm. it'll I'll it'll that's a day ruiner. Oh yeah. Because you know? because you you're you're conditioning yourself to see it dropping mm-hmm. or at least holding steady. Yeah, and when you and, see it dropping, you're like your your brain releases all, right, all yeah, these chemicals, you're, you're and you feel good. You know, some yeah. pats on the back and stuff, you feel great. And then it goes up, and you're like, oh my god! Like I said, it's three pounds. Mm-hmm. It's tough on the keto too, though, because you have to eat those fats to be able to burn the fat. Mm-hmm. So you wake up that morning, and you're like, oh man, I'm up, but you still have to eat a fatty meal to get you know get your diet or get your metabolism going mm-hmm. and, and keep fueling your metabolism to burn fat. So it's tough because you're thinking like, oh, I'll try to skip that, you know, or I won't eat till later or something like yeah. that. But you're really just messing yourself up more because you're not burning the fats that you need to. And, and that's what we were talking about earlier. I feel like that's where I really messed up because uh, even though my carb intake was really low, I, I wasn't eating nearly enough It was enough too fat. much lean, right. lean protein. Yeah. yeah. And you well, have to like add olive oil. Like yeah. I'll just take a pat of butter and put it on my broccoli or something like that to add fat to everything I'm eating. Yeah. And that was the other thing. Like whenever we first started it, there was a point where Leila was plateauing. I was steadily dropping weight, like I said, because my body, every morning my body's already got fat that it's eating on. You know what Mm. I mean? So it's like, I feel like my body never really drops out of that. She's got to add more because her body doesn't necessarily have as much. I don't have as much to burn. And she had started to kind of plateau. She wasn't really losing any weight. And she read about that Bulletproof coffee and started drinking it, and almost immediately it kicked her body into more weight loss. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the... uh, about bulletproof and it's yeah. awesome yeah. it just it's tastes just an really easy good. way to eat fat and when you blend the fat and the coffee it turns frothy so mm. it's like having a latte and but we do it with virgin just, coconut oil yeah it's just with so it gives it a little it. coconut flavor mm-hmm. yeah and then yeah so from going from black coffee with nothing to like a frothy yeah, coffee that tastes <laughs> like coconut you're like ooh, mm-hmm. this is great i'm in a treat yeah <laughs> like a Inter- intermittent fasting too is another one that we've kind of incorporated into mm-hmm. this especially having that coffee in the morning and then trying to not eat a lunch or something till about two o'clock yeah um and then you just only eat like that last part of the day i'm really bad where i can't stop eating early enough in the night like i'm not eating after eight and probably not eating yeah. after 10 i've done the intermittent fasting a couple a couple times and it, it's really bad for me just because I'll go 16 hours without eating. And then, you know, normally I'll have like a green smoothie as the first meal I'll have for the day. But when I'm intermittent fasting, after 16 hours of not eating anything, I don't want a, I don't want a green smoothie. No, you want a right. full breakfast. I want a fucking Reuben. Yeah. Right. You know? Exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> or something. Bring me a cow. Something terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want something terrible for me. So it just, it didn't work. That that didn't work for me either. Like, but what's worked, but what's worked best for me, especially you know not like i'm a beacon of health but like when i'm doing these like competitions with friends and stuff is just a, a strict diet calorie counting you know yep and all watching, that and, and exercising know. you know sometimes twice a day and stuff when so. we did first start this diet that's what i had like an app that i was logging mm. my food because i wanted to see how many carbs am i eating and i would track it and so then i'd know like at the end of the day to the number how many carbs i had and each meal that i had how many carbs in each one and then after like 
you know, three weeks of seeing that, I kind of had a general idea in my head about what I could eat and couldn't eat. Mm. But it definitely made you way more mindful. Because when you punch in that burger and you see, like, how many calories that was or how many carbs, you know, yeah. something that you wanted to eat is, and then you're like, oh, man, that was not worth it. Yeah, that and you're like, how many 2,000-calorie meals have I had in my life? Mm. Oh, way yeah. more than you think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and when you get on that treadmill or that elliptical machine and, mm. and 30 minutes later you're, like, only, you know, not even 300 calories down, <laughs> oh, yeah. and you're like, oh, my God, that was only half of that meal. That was only half that meal. Like yeah, that's that 20-ounce Dr. Want, Pepper yeah, I just had. You, you want to put every exactly. bit of it back out, yeah. Mm. And that was what we were saying too. Is it? It does. It. It's. It's almost like uh, the body equivalent of like getting a job when you were a kid. Like mm. when you first got a job and you were like, "Oh my god!" Like I've got to work an hour to buy, uh, you know, a, a Big Mac. Mm. You know, I've got to work this long just to buy that thing. And yeah. it's like what you're, was, you're what buying was your, first your Big Mac. My very first job was in Shalimar at the Village Supermarket. Okay. It was so good. And then I went from there to actually the Winn-Dixie here in Destin. Okay. Uh, I worked at a party store, a locally owned party store called LTM Party. I don't know what the LTM stood for to this day, but LTM Party. They had a location in Bradenton, where I was from, that opened. I'm curious. I want to know what it stands for. I don't know. Lots of... If Shane was here, I'd have him... If Shane was here, I'd have him Google. Google it. I don't know. LTM Party. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they had one in Sarasota and they had one in Bradenton, and that mm. was that was my first job. And then I went to work at a cash and carry, and uh, cash and carry is a grocery store. I don't even know if they still exist. Our cash and carry got taken over by a grocery store chain called Sweet Bay, while I was working there, um, and they they like took down the cash and carry sign. And I was kind of a weird kid. I mean, I didn't grow out of that. I'm a weird guy too. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be weird. Um, but they took down the cash and carry sign, and for some reason, I was like, "Hey, can I get one of those like K's from the cash, like the big lit light up K?" And so I like got one of the big light up K's, and for, I don't know if I thought like it was like people were gonna be like, "Oh, cash and carry, remember that? That'll be worth money," because I had seen like you know seventy six signs sell for a lot of money, or I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but they put a picture of it in the newspaper. Of you with a K? Of me with the K, like, in the back of my truck. And it said, like, employees, skip shipper, like, takes a piece of memorabilia from the store or something like that. And I'm like, what? Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It's probably worth money now. <laughs> I was going to say, now it's got a story behind it. Yeah, you just slide it's it up co- in your living room? Right, exactly. Okay. It's been covered in two forms of media now, podcast and print. So it, the demand is only going up. Hopefully I'm holding on to it. Um but so it, it turned into a thing called Sweet Bay and they had like this corporate switchover where yeah. they wanted to get everybody excited about Sweet Bay. Uh-huh. So they did all like these different things. And you had like six kids who were in high school and then the rest of them were like retirees because it's like Brandon, Florida, mm-hmm. you know? So you had six people who were like really excited about all the competitions and stuff. And yeah. then uh, the rest of the store didn't care at all. So they had like a fear factor. Fear factor was big at the time. Mm-hmm. We had like a Sweet Bay fear factor. Mm-hmm. I won. By the way, I don't, okay, I'm not trying to. I don't want to throw that out there, but if anybody remembers that it was in the competition, I'm still the winner. Uh, I had to eat Limburger cheese and liverwurst. To, yeah, Limburger cheese is terrible. I don't know why anybody would ever want that. Yeah, I like so all the different right? cheeses. Oh yeah, liverwurst was terrible too. <laughs> Both those were awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, man, uh, I want to. I want to talk about. Uh, I've referenced it on a podcast before, but I want to talk about the first time I really hung out with you two together. I've known the Isla for 20 years, probably, mm-hmm. you know, we went to, we went to Sunday school together 
Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, it definitely would have been shortly after you moved to town because, mm-hmm. like you were talking about, you know, with Blake and Duncan yeah. and Colt and all of us were all friends, like, through high school and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I went, we came over, I forget why, like, Kelby and I came over to, to Port St. Joe, but anyway, we hung out, and then the next day, we went for a bike ride, and then we went walking on the beach, and that's when you two kind of just blew my mind because... You know every Leila, you know everything there is to know about shells in in the ocean. Yep, everything in the, the, the sea. Like you and you were doing a big year. Mhm. So for between yeah. f- between birds and shells, like my mind was blown for an hour and a half just about how much knowledge between you two had just walking along like the seashore. And uh first of all, where Leila, where did you pick that up from? Is that a I'm I'm lucky enough, even though I'm from Crestview originally, uh, lucky enough, though, to have spent all, every summer, every single summer of mine growing up in Port St. Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. I was raised by my grandparents, and they were retired. So when we got out of school for the summer, we'd left town and wouldn't come back basically until school was going to start again. So I was down there for two to three months out of the year every year, and you know they were very outdoors people, too. So we started fishing and uh, scalloping is a big thing over there, mm-hmm. snorkeling, stuff like that, and... I, I love to read. I love the science and, you know, just kind of learn all these different facts and information about all these creatures. Yeah. And now that I do it as part of my job, it's even more because now I'm, we do snorkeling trips and we do like a hands-on show and tell at the end of the trip. So now every single thing that they bring into the boat, I, you know, can tell you what it's doing out there, how it lives. Uh, where do you how, do your snorkel? Where do you do your trips? We go in St. Joseph's Bay. We're right there in Port St. Joe at the uh-huh. Port St. Joe Marina. I work for a company called Seahorse Water Safaris. And we take the trips towards the back of the bay. When you go to the very back of St. Joseph's Bay, it's very, very shallow. And our bay... Like past Black's, Black's yes, Island? Yes, like out towards yeah. that direction, kind of. Our bay doesn't have a river that flows into it like Choctahatchee Bay does. Mm-hmm. So instead of our bay being brown and gross like it is over here, our bay is always crystal clear and salty and gorgeous. Yeah. So we can go back into the bay and go scholarship and we have grass beds kind of like what you guys have in mm. front of the coast guard station it's uh, our whole back of the bay is like that and so we go into the grass beds area and it's a habitat for all the creatures that live there it provides sh- food and shelter for everybody yeah and that was gonna be my next question is especially with guests on there i when when i first bought my boat we brought it out there and just you know you just go ride around try try to avoid the sandbars and super shallow areas but that water is some of the sharkiest water i've ever seen in my life Yes, it's it's sharky. It has a, it's a home to a lot of creatures. Again, mm-hmm. because we don't have the river that flows in there, we have very nice, clean, salty water there. So it's a great nursery for all of the Gulf species that want to have babies. Mm-hmm. So and that includes sharks. So yeah. we do have a lot of sharks that come in there and reproduce. So we have a ton of sharks in there, but they're almost all juvenile baby sharks, and some of the bigger sharks that are hanging out there, like ones that are smaller sharks like a bonnet head shark it only gets four feet long mm. top size and people think they saw a baby hammerhead all the time yeah, yeah. but it's just a bonnet head shark and they can live in the grasses there it's a great habitat for them they're not going to outgrow the bay you know so yeah. they'll hang out in there and it's nice and salty and clean so it's a good place for them to live but almost everything that we have there is going to be lots and lots of little baby sharks mm-hmm. uh, and baby baby snapper baby grouper yeah um, you know other fish like I, that i too. went fishing and i i had to stop fishing because i caught so many sharks mm-hmm. yeah you'll catch like, a ton of fun. like foot long little we have mm-hmm. a lot of they're called atlantic sharp nose people think they're a black tip shark because mm-hmm. little black tips on them that's called atlantic sharp nose shark yeah, I saw some big boys back there too, though. Yeah, we do have some big ones. There's been times where I've been out there scalloping, and I had a, you know, we were in a John boat, 14, 12 foot John boat, mm-hmm. and we had a, I don't know, nine foot bull shark or so swim past the boat. He yeah. just kind of wanted to check us out, and then he kept on cruising. Yeah. 
and then it was time to get in the water and go scalloping. Yeah, I don't, I don't get in that water. Well, that's the thing that I always tell tourists. We've we've got the yeah. same thing in Apalachicola Bay. You know, we've got a lot of sharks mm. because it's such an active estuary. You know, it's mm. a place where there's such an abundant food source that it's going to hold predators. It's it's easy food and it's abundant food. Yeah. Um, but the good thing about that is is that they've got easy abundant food, mm. and we are not easy. Or on on yeah, the menu, yeah. So and that's they're that's so well ask. fed. You don't hear about shark attacks, no, because right? they're so well fed. We yeah. see sharks on our snorkeling trips all the time. I'm on the boat. Everybody else is in the water, mm. so I'll see a bonnethead shark or something swim through the sandbar, um, and I can see the shark see the people. The shark's going to see the people. 20, 30 feet away. Mm-hmm. He knows the people are there and he immediately turns around and swims the other direction. Yeah. He probably has to be within five foot of the person for the person to see him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every once in a while somebody will say, oh, I saw a shark when I was out there swimming. But as soon as you see the shark, he's gone. Yeah. They, most of the time, they don't ever spot the shark. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, it's still, I don't, I can't, scalloping is not relaxing for me. Right. Like my you're wife always, loves You're doing looking it. over your shoulder right. all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just listening to myself breathe. It's like right. a it's like a fucking scene from a movie. There's I'm a like, flash you're of slowly light. breathing. Yeah. <laughs> and my heart and starts the, racing. Yeah. And Some I'm like, fish flashed aside. Yeah, you think yeah exactly. Like I'm not Oh, like, it's I'm, my hand again. I'm okay. halfway looking for scallops, but I'm halfway just right looking <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Like everybody get else there. will get some. I don't need to get any. I'll watch yeah. out for everybody else. Yeah. When you get in there, another thing that goes along with scalloping is uh, spearing mullet. So you mm. can have like a little tiny pole spear out there and spear mullet. So then you're shooting mullet. You've got dead fish yeah. in your scallop bag yeah. and you're swimming around with dead fish in your scallop bag. Then all of a sudden you'll be like, hey, there's a couple of sharks around me and you'll have mm. to, you know, it's time to take your fish on into the boat or something like that. But again, there are lots of little tiny bonnet head sharks. Mm. There was a couple one time that I, I did have him like one in front of me. I kind of poked at him with my spear. He swam off. I was like, oh, okay, I showed you, I showed you. And then I turned around and there were two more behind me. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just go ahead and go back to the boat for a little bit. Yeah. Kelby just... doesn't like that either. When I'm when I am out with your wife or my aunt or something, they make me take my boat or my fish back to the boat every single time. They, yeah. They don't want me swimming around with dead fish in the water. Yeah, I think uh, her dad. I think I think my father in law is. He's had some issues with that too, because mm-hmm. he doesn't give a shit. He'll they, just have, they have a good sense swimming. of smell. You'll see catfish first, and then as soon as you see the catfish, probably within five minutes, the sharks will be there because the catfish can smell them also. Yeah, I heard someone that is a uh, that does uh, tours here in town, uh, spear spear fishing tours, told me that that sharks are actually attracted to the sound of the mm-hmm. of the oh, spear. Even the boat pulling up to a wreck. When you pull up to the wreck, they know the boat's there a fish. Why yeah. else would somebody be there? So they can either get a fish off of your gun or they can get a fish off the line. So as soon mm-hmm. as they hear the boat pull up, they're like, okay, free meal. But definitely when they hear those rubber bands snap mm-hmm. under the water, they know exactly what it means. Yep. And it's yeah. easy for them. Again, you know, they want the easy meal. They're out there, you know actively competing for food so if there's a free easy flopping fish right in front of them they're going to snatch it you mm-hmm. can't blame them for it you know everybody was supposed to sure. like how when they go spear fishing how many sharks are in the water and all this other stuff well they're there first you know you're in their territory you're in their habitat yeah. taking their food yeah. taking their food and yeah. you have a very easy meal right in front of them so you have to mm-hmm. protect your meal just like any other shark out there would if he had a free fish that they yeah wanted. as a park ranger that's one of the things that drives me the absolute most nuts is when people are like oh are these waters shark infested and it's like, well, no, it's the they're they're, tor- they're <laughs> the, tourist yeah, the infested. Yeah. yeah, the shark only <laughs> lives there, so yeah. no, they're not really shark infested. There are sharks in there, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's something that people definitely uh, have a huge stigma about. And yeah. it, and and it sucks because there was a time where Discovery Channel was doing like a real good job of like every year Shark Week was like, 
you know, sharks aren't bad. Turns out sharks are cool. Like, sharks don't eat you. Yeah. You know, don't worry about it. But I guess the ratings started to drop on that. So now Shark Week's like, Megalodon will eat your family. Yeah. And it's like, well, what? You're, like, making, like, fake documentaries. And you're, like, mm. talking about, like, the deadliest sharks and the top five shark attacks in the world. Yeah. And they've always got to go back to, like, 1903 and, like, New Jersey when a bull shark went up a river and ate, like, five that people. That one time. That one time yeah. in 1903. You remember? Everybody. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's just strange that now it's like we're rebuilding that stigma uh, of sharks, which which stinks. Well, I, I play percentages on a lot of that stuff. Uh, like, for example, when I went skydiving for a week, a week out, um, I always wanted to do it. But then I guess like when I turned 30, my mindset changed. Yeah. I've made it this far. Let's. <laughs> Let's, it became, let's keep it, doing this. You know? I've, I've noticed that as a th- as hitting 30, you mm. turned like kind of more self-preservation mode. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, yeah. I've gone this long without doing it. I don't really know. Why. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I, I always wanted to skydive, and then I decided it just was something I wasn't going to do. And the band I represent got me a skydiving certificate for my birthday. So I was like, fuck, I have to do this now. So like a week out, I was starting to get really, really weird about it. You know, and uh, so so my brother was going with me, and we were driving together out there, and like just the whole time I was like looking up on my phone your percent, <laughs> like the chance of dying right. skydiving, exactly kind of thing, and I was freaking out. I had a bottle of whiskey with me, right, and I was just slamming it. Like I must have, I must. Did you add in the likelihood of skydiving drunk? No, okay, because you were skewing your data. You're exactly right. Yeah, I'll guarantee you the percentage is a lot higher if you're intoxicated. Right. Um, So just think of the odds that you actually beat. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I think I think the odds of of dying while skydiving it was something like you're 17 times more likely to die in a car wreck. Oh yeah. Than you are like. I think, I don't. I don't want to say the numbers. I don't want to talk out of my ass. But I think that, like, if you drive, you know, a regular amount per year, your chances of dying in a car are like one out of like six thousand something. Oh yeah, because you have to think how many yeah. people are driving, how many people don't know yeah. what they're doing when they're driving, or just aren't paying attention, mm-hmm. and how dangerous. A yeah, car and everyone is. knows someone who's either been in a serious car accident oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. or, or, or lost, lost their life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? 100%. And it's so funny, too, when you say the statistics like that, because they uh, they always use cows. You're more likely to be killed by a cow than a shark, mm-hmm. which is weird. That's a weird yeah. statistic to throw out there. And uh, soda machines, like soda machines. Yeah, vending machines, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you, you want to talk about statistics, apparently vending machines are just falling all over the place. <laughs> And you never hear about it. I feel like that's bigger news than somebody getting killed by a shark. Absolutely. That should be national news. Yeah. A guy was trying to get his Snickers out of a vending like the, machine. Like the Darwin Awards that they yeah, do exactly, every year. yeah. 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 Um, so, so anyway, man, uh, getting to the... I want to talk about the big year now. Did okay. you how many, how many birds did you see? I, I had my final count for Florida species. Well, first of all, explain what a big year okay, is so for a people bi- who don't know. A big know. year, uh, years ago, way back... Uh, Audubon, they they used to do this. Th- well, it wasn't Audubon that did it originally. They used to have a sporting event, and everybody would go out, and they had a big day, and it was how many birds you could shoot in one day. 
and every and everybody in town would compete. So it's like <laughs> one day a year you went out and you killed every bird in you town. Yeah. So and then everybody compared their birds at the end of the day mm. and was like whoever got the most was the best. I don't know. Um but Audubon was like, well not the guy, but the organization was like, you know, this is screwed up, but people obviously like the birds, so let's make it about counting birds. And so then they started to count the bird species that they got, and it became who saw the most different species within the day. Uh, and then they expanded that big day into a thing called a big year. Uh, and it's sort of a, it's a blanket statement. There are legitimate big year, like, competitions where people send in their lists and they, like, try to be the top birder in the country. And they'll go all over the U.S. and Alaska, and they go out into the Aleutian chain to there these islands. Uh, yeah, there's there's a movie. Jack Black. A, and Jack Owen, Black, Owen, Owen Wilson, yeah, and Steve it. Martin. Yep. Uh, it's a, it's I thought a, it was good. Yeah, it's yeah. a good movie. Uh, you know, you get more out of it if you're a birder, mm. just like you get more out of Star Wars if you're a nerd. Yeah. You know, it's a good movie, but you get more out of it if you're so a that's what you're called a birder a birder yeah okay. so that was something i've just birding is like a newer thing to me i've always been a bird watcher that's mm. what i found out there's a difference there's a bird watcher and that's just somebody who goes oh a cardinal yes and then there's a birder who's like oh that is a first year juvenile male cardinal who's in non-breeding plumage you know and <laughs> and i'm embarrassed to say that that's me now yeah. that i wasn't just the guy who could be like there's a cardinal and people are like oh yeah i know cardinal shut up kid mm-hmm. <laughs> now they're like i don't want to know that much about cardinal shut up kid you know it's it's like a different spectrum but it's birder yeah so a birder is someone who's like really into it and yeah. like a bird watcher is casual. And then a normal person is just someone who observes birds and sees that there are birds in the world. Yes. And the more you get into it, the more variety you realize. You know, uh-huh. There isn't just a sparrow. There's 20 different sparrows, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so Florida has a thing called Wings Over Florida. And Wings Over Florida is done by FWC, the Wildlife Conservation mm-hmm. Commission. And uh, it's basically a way for them to get volunteers to count birds without having to call them volunteers who are counting birds. They have birders in the state make a list of the birds that they saw, roughly where they saw them and the date that they saw them. And then you turn in your list and you get a certificate Yeah. Uh, for however many birds you've seen. So a Florida big year last year or the year before last was 200 birds, 200 plus Florida species in one year what's considered a big year. Mm-hmm. And I had 175 species last year. So I was like super bummed oh. that I didn't get the big year. And that was the first year that I had tried it, like really listing out the yeah. bird species that I was seeing. So I had 175. So I was super bummed. So this year I'm like, I'm doing it. Oh, you're going, you're still, I'm, you're on it. Or last year. Last year, last sorry. Last year. Lee Eiler, are you doing it as well? No, I... By proxy. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say, I was his assistant in this bird spotting <laughs> expedition. So but I'll say I, that there's birds the that I would seat. not have been able to get if it wasn't for Leila. We were down in the uh, Everglades, and this isn't even a bird that I can list, but this is like one that like sticks in my head. We were going down on a trip to Cuba. Why can't you list it? Because it is a morph of an existing Florida species. So it's, uh, it's called a great white heron, and it's a great blue heron, but it has a genetic morph that makes it all white. So it looks like an egret, okay. but it is the size. It has like the tassel on the back of mm-hmm. its head. Everything on it is blue heron, except for it's white and it has like a yellow bill. Okay. Um, so you can't list it because technically it's a blue it's heron. a blue heron, and I've already got a great blue heron listed on the mm-hmm. thing. It would be like saying that first year non breeding juvenile cardinal is still yeah. a cardinal. Uh, so we were driving through the Everglades, and Leila was like, "Stop." 
And so I like pull over. She's like, I'm pretty sure I just saw a great white heron, which was something that I'd really wanted to see when I was down there. You only see them in South Florida. That's the only place where they are because I guess genetically that's the only place where it exists. Um, So I like turned around and went back and there was one like way off in the Everglades like sitting. And I, even with my binoculars, I was having trouble identifying it. And then an egret like flew in and landed next to it. And it was like, way you know, bigger. way bigger. The yeah. era was like super small. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's totally it. Like, and I would have never seen it if she hadn't been, you know, looking out the window. Uh-huh. I'm in that passenger seat. So she's definitely, uh, it, it's helped her learn birds mm-hmm. more. Yeah. So you, Leali, you probably know more than the average person does about I'm, birds. I'm getting better about yeah. it. There's there's so many little tiny nuances. Like you were saying, all the different sparrows. Uh-huh. There's no, They're all yellow and brown. I, there's, you're not going to know the difference. Well, even them. me, like shorebirds, mm. they're all little and gray. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all little and gray or they're all little and brown. Everybody wants except to say for it's the a ones yeah. right, except for the ones that aren't. And those yeah. ones all look very distinct. You probably have to get really close to identify mm-hmm. them. You have to get close. They're always skittish mm-hmm. and they all look the same. Mm-hmm. They're all about the size of a, you know, a, a tennis ball. Yeah. And they're gray. Some of them have like yellow feet. Some yellow legs, yeah, or... a longer beak. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, a, a ring around their neck. Mm. But lines, some of you're them looking have a, to yeah. see a little white line under their eyeball, and you're trying to look at a bird yeah. the size of a tennis ball and look at yeah. his eyeball. You're looking for their supercilium. Mm. That's like a million-dollar word. It's like an eyebrow. It looks like an eyebrow on the bird. Okay, okay. Supercilium. I throw that out in my programs at the park <laughs> because it really sounds... Uh, supercilium and auriculars, and those are the covers over their like, ear holes, okay. are called auriculars. This is stuff you guys can take to the bank. I just looked at the microphone like it's people, but <laughs> it, it, it kind of yeah. is. Hold on to that one microphone. Next time somebody's talking into you, throw that one at them. Um, but so I did. I, last year, I was able to get 208 species, and uh, so I, I exceeded so you did get the big it. year. Yeah. Okay, the year before I had 175. Last year I had 208. Congratulations. So I was very excited about it. And whenever I looked in the book, they had changed the big year to 50 plus species in a year. <laughs> so well, that's bullshit. Oh, yeah. So I traveled all over the state. Yeah, but the, like, thing is, the thing I is, I mean, I know. People who know, know. Right. That you did them all in one if, year. If someone says I have a big year, I had 52 birds. Right. You'd be like, Not I to bring it back. I did that my first day. Yeah. Not to bring it back around. But that's essentially the way that the people at my trivia games feel whenever they were right and I was wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that it was only 50 birds, but I had 200 birds. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's one of those things where it's it's a lot of work for something that, like, nobody even knows about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, if I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a big year, people are like, I don't know what that is. And then you start to explain it to them and their eyes just glaze over (laughs) because people don't think about that kind of stuff. They're like cardinal, yeah. Yeah, okay, cardinal. (laughs) Yeah. What what do you get on your first day? I mean, I'd I'd assume you You probably, like... That's you're probably pretty stoked your first day. Oh you're yeah, you're nailing out. birds. I mean, and the whole at time. St. George Island, you can go out there and yeah. Rack see, up a bunch. for people who don't know uh, about St. George Island, it's it's what's known as a barrier island. So it's very long and skinny. It's right along the coast. Um, three miles offshore, though, not like Oglo's yeah, Island. So we're we're the first thing that birds that are migrate, uh, migrating from the Yucatan or Mexico or South America hit most of the time. Because we're four more miles offshore than the mainland. So the birds see that and they're like, oh my God, I've been flying over the Gulf of Mexico. I'm going to land and rest and eat. Uh, So when we get like migratories, we'll get 26 different warbler species in a day. 
during the migration. Mm. Um, so you're getting 26 different types of one type, like one species of bird mm. in a day. Um, but like when you start in January, you know, depending on where you are, you're always going to get like your mockingbird, you know, your cardinal. At the park, we've almost always got ground doves, which is one that's kind of hard to find in other places. Um, you know, all the shorebirds. I can get like almost within the first week, I'll have almost every plover mm. in the book. And plovers are ones that people are like traveling all over the state to try and get to these different beaches that have different plovers, but they all just migrate through where I am. Yeah. Um, we had a bird last year that was called a lazuli bunting. And a, a lazuli bunting is a Western species. Um, and there's never even been a report of one in the panhandle of Florida. And there was one in our campground and it was with a group of indigo buntings. He was just confused about what he was he was it was his first year he was a first year male he wasn't in breeding plumage he was in like this weird kind of in between plumage and he just was looking for love in the wrong places and he just hung out with these indigo buntings for like a week and he flew off um but when he was there for that week we had people coming from north of atlanta uh down to st george to see so what's bunting. that like then when you have other birders coming in? Do you just like nerd out with them for hours? Uh, some of them. It's like anything. It's kind of one there's, of those things you know. There's some, it's like your people. there's some people are pretentious about it, and there's yeah. some people who just enjoy it. Like, I'm not pretentious about it. Mm-hmm. If I did, When I saw 175 birds, I was like, this is horse shit. I'm not birding <laughs> again. Dude. Screw you, Limpkin. You know, I wasn't. <laughs> that's not. I, I was like, you know, I saw 175 birds. That's amazing. You know, was, I just enjoy doing it. And I'm lucky enough to be in a place where I can see a lot of birds. So my numbers yeah. are stacked. Did you all go out and celebrate when you hit 200? Like, did you go to towards like dinner the, that night? Well, towards the <laughs> yeah. end of the year, we were like right at that 190 something. And so like every day he'd be like, oh, I saw a new bird today. I saw a new bird today. So we'd be like, okay, 196, 196. I mean, yeah. we were getting really close. And to that's that the number. thing too. You get to a point, it's almost like dieting. You get to a point where you plateau because mm-hmm. you see all the birds. You know, they're it's only like a, season, a, like a snail kite. I'm not going to be able to see a snail kite on St. George Island. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've got to go to the Everglades. I've got to go to Okeechobee to see one. And that's a bird that still eluded me. Like, I haven't seen a snail kite because you can only see them in the Everglades. And we're not down there all the Okeechobee. time. Yeah. You're driving through yeah. one day and that's and it. And they're rare, you know. Mm-hmm. Even in those areas where you see them, they still see them sporadically. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where you've really got to kind of dedicate that time to it to try and get all of those species but yeah. i'm just i'm just lucky in the sense that a lot of the stuff comes to me mm. you know so there's, yeah. there's apps for bird alerts and yeah so yeah it can notify you if there's rare birds in your area and that's how these people know somebody spots it is a rare bird they put it on the network yeah. then all these other birders know, know there's where rare it is birds there and Ooh, so are there trolls to the area no are there trolls luckily, that mess with people luckily, there? Like, no. get on there, like i'm gonna mess with some birders. i feel like the other I, birders would take care of it i feel like birding is such uh it's such a big thing yeah obviously because there's like apps where you can list and communicate and Mm -hmm. say what you've been seeing but i think that it's under the radar enough that there wouldn't be trolls because people are just like oblivious they don't even know to troll it yet right they wouldn't even know how to troll it yeah (laughs) you'd have to know the bird species we're giving them ideas yeah we're giving them ideas yeah man why did you say that? i know i just screw i just when they talk about that lazuli bunting oh yeah I'm going to be like, there's a horn bell in Apalachicola? And I'm like running around looking for it and there's nothing. And I'll be like, damn you, Jared. Yep. Yeah. Not again. podcast ruined birding in yeah, Florida. Exactly. <laughs> oh, in one fell swoop. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I was talking to Lee about this the other day. I feel like being educated about the natural world and like the world around you truly enriches your life. 
because you see that there's people get so you know disenchanted they see the same stuff all the time and they don't realize that there's so much difference in the stuff that they're seeing all the time mm. people see birds every day mm. but they don't realize that sometimes that bird that they see that's yellow just flew here from the Yucatan Peninsula overnight yeah you know what I mean? And someone in the Yucatan was looking at that bird yesterday, and now you're seeing it in Destin the next day. Mm. And somebody in Canada is going to see that bird in another day. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's crazy how it They like, cover that much ground that fast? A, a hummingbird. I mean, it, it depends on the species, but like a ruby-throated hummingbird, they cross the Gulf of Mexico in a day. A bird that, they would, fly normally, at yeah, that would normally have to eat every 20 minutes will travel the entire Gulf of Mexico wow. in a night. Uh, so that's why, like I said, even that four miles that we're getting by being offshore gives them four miles of respite. They have four, four less miles to travel to get to land. Yeah. So they can hit that island, and it's that first thing, and they're exhausted. Yeah. Uh, we'll get an event called Fallout. Fallout is an event um, where a storm or some sort of wind occurrence will happen that moves against the migration. So you have all of these birds moving at once, and then you have a front or something that comes through with bad weather, and it exhausts those birds. So it exhausts the birds because they've got to fly through it. They've got nowhere to perch. They've got nowhere to stop. They've got to avoid this storm and fight against these wind currents. And when they get to land, they're literally exhausted to the point of just like, laying on the ground mm. or like laying in the tree, like not even perched, like hunkered down, laying in the tree and you can just like walk up to them. Yeah. So there's birds that are like, you know, scarlet tanagers or summer tanagers or these like crazy beautiful birds. And they're me to you sitting in a, cause they're so exhausted from having to go through the yeah. storm and you'll have all kinds of varieties. You'll get birds blown in that you wouldn't normally see. Uh, before Irma, I saw a bird that to this day I have yet to be able to identify, but it's some sort of tropical species, and I have no idea what it was. It was a small, like, finch-sized bird, and it had two little, like, wisps coming off of its tail. Did you take a picture? No, we were out walking the dog, and it was just, like, on a line. I heard this, like, chipping, and Mm. I was like, well, that's a weird-sounding chip. And I, like, looked up, and it was, like, on a power line. And I had a conical beak. It was like, I was thinking either uh, it was some sort of tropical species that got blown in on the front end of the storm, or somebody had like some sort of an exotic finch that just got out of a cage. Because it very much could have been that. Yeah, it could have been like a zebra finch or something like that. Because it was up and I didn't even have binoculars. You know, I was just kind of like shielding my eyes and hoping for the best of of an identification. But you just never know what you're going to see. And that's what's so cool about them. Something, too, that you were talking about, how people, like how it's connecting everything, but it's another thing, too, where you notice the different birds that are migrating through, and it's affected because of deforestation in South America or in Venezuela Mm -hmm. or somewhere, you know, in Central America where they're doing deforestation. And so the, the, you know, sparrows and, and other ones that used to come from there had their entire habitat wiped out, and then all of a sudden they don't show up in Florida the next year. Right, because yeah. because where they were living at down there has been removed, and so it's crazy how, like he was saying, you see a bird and it's a different bird, but maybe you're not going to notice because you don't know the bird species. You don't notice that this bird that's been showing up every single year for the last hundred, you know, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years, and all of a sudden it just stops showing up one day because wherever it was living at, its you know winter grounds has been completely deforested, and it can only live in that one habitat or something, so it's gone. It's gone completely gone, mm-hmm. and now it won't even return to the United States because it had to change it. 
its habitat, so it has to change everything about its migratory route. Mm-hmm. Even like um, like me uh, saying that limpkin is a type of bird when I said Damien limpkin. That's a type of bird. Um, and the river that I grew up on, I grew up on the Braden River down in Bradenton, and I grew up directly on the river. So I was like a river kid, you know, I was always out in the swamp. I was always, you know, looking at birds and animals and learning about all this stuff out there. And, uh, there's this bird called a limpkin and this limpkin at night, they have this God awful, like, it's like, uh, Anybody who's ever heard of Lemkin is like, wow, that skip knows his shit. Uh, it's like that, but it's way louder. And it's uh, at 2 a.m. They don't start it until like the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. Uh, so all through the mating season, they'll like sit on the top of a palm tree and just make that sound. Um, but we used to hear it. It was a part of our lives. You know, every every summer in the mating season, you heard them. Uh, and they eat apple snails. They're kind of like, uh, if people know what an ibis or even a stork, they're kind of like a short stork and they have a curved bill and they eat apple snails. And that's the only thing that they eat. They eat this type of snail. Their bill's made to go down into it. Um, the area that I grew up in was very, very small when I was growing up. I was actually telling Leila, it's interesting because we both kind of grew up in the same town, but mine blew up and yours is just starting to kind of Bradenton built infrastructure to go with the blow up. Crestview has not developed anything. So my town went from being very, very small to being very large now because it was a rapidly expanding town and they started to build those, those infrastructures. You know, they, they took a two lane highway and they made it into four lanes on both sides. So there was more ability. So every time I go back, it keeps growing, but that's detrimental to the river even though they haven't been constructing on the river because they have laws obviously about how close you can construct to wetlands people are right on the edge of it now so whenever i go out to like my grandfather's house which is where i grew up when i go out to my grandfather's house i can see the houses on the other side of the river's roof line over the trees on the other side of the river so they're very close and the amount of runoff and stuff that comes off of that now into the river not only causes the river to rise quicker because there isn't any ground saturation, but it's also putting so much into the water that we don't have apple snails anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't see apple snails. And for these so last two these last birds. two years that I've been trying to do the big year, a bird that was a part of my life, I mean, clockwork bird. Like, I've got this bird, no issue. It lives in my backyard. For two years, I've not heard or seen a limpkin on that river. And they were a, a constant occurrence. So I think that that's something, too, is that if people started to pay more attention to things like birds, I'm not trying to get people out there birding because mm-hmm. the, the place will be crowded. But anything, you can see those small changes. And you can chalk that up to anything you want. I don't like to add politics or any of that to anything because it's more about just seeing the actual thing that's happening. Yeah, It's not about how we feel about it. It's about what's actually happening. Yeah. And to see that river and to see that that bird's gone and to see that those snails are no longer there and to see that those houses have gone up and the runoff is different, you can't deny that. It's mm-hmm. facts. And it's not about they built that place wrong or they ran this off wrong or it's bad for the environment or these birds need to be saved. It's just a fact. You can't, yeah. you can't avoid it. And I think that if people paid more attention to the, those natural cycles that are altered, uh, they would see those changes that are, that are unavoidable. You mm-hmm. can't say that it's 
not happening because I don't see limpkins anymore. I don't see apple snails. Yeah. Um, and then it was almost similar to us in St. Joe. If anybody in this area, we're kind of close to St. Joe. So anybody that here that goes scalloping, uh, knows that the past two years in Port St. Joe, we've had terrible scalloping seasons. Um, this last year we had a type of algae in the water that made the scallops harmful to eat. So it wasn't bad for the scallops, but it was bad for you to eat them. The year before that we had a really bad red tide and the red tide ended up killing the scallops and everything else in the bay. Um, both of those occurrences were from heavy rain events that did cause nutrient-rich runoff to come into our bay. And like I was talking about, our bay doesn't have a river that comes into it. So for us to have nutrient-rich water coming into the bay is a huge you know, influx, and it changes the whole uh, nutrient system and the dynamics of the bay. And so that caused that red tide to bloom, and it caused this other type of algae to bloom that was harmful for us to eat. And like he was saying, it's a direct, you know, the people are going to continue to build on the bay. They're going to continue to build canals through the swamps and make the swamps drain out into the bay so that they don't have a puddle in their front yard because everyone wants their yard real dry. So they take that water and immediately channel it straight out of their yard right into the bay. It doesn't sit in a holding pond and get the plants, remove the nutrients from it when it's mm. in a holding pond. They just pump these little canals straight out into the bay and then you end up with nutrient-rich water, kill those scallops. And, and for us... You know, it's a big part of our economy, the scalloping season. Yep. And so for it to take an entire species like that and, and basically remove them, you know, from the equation, uh, the red tide year, we ended up with a two-week scalloping season. And you could only get 40 scallops per person. And it was basically them just throwing us a bone so that we had something to do this year. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even a real scalloping season. And it was so late in the year. Everybody had already had their summer vacation. It wasn't until October. So everybody already had their summer vacation. They weren't going to come and take two weeks, you know, take up time off to come mm. back down and scallop with us. Uh, so it was definitely detrimental when people see what's happening to the scallops, but I don't think they realize, like, this is from nutrient-rich runoff that's going into the bay, and that's from the canals that come from the planted pine forest, which have pine needles that are incredibly high in nitrogen that are running directly into the bay when it mm -hmm. have a heavy rainfall occurrence. Now, is that the same that happened with the uh, with the oysters in Apalachicola? What, what's with that? So what's going on with the oysters in Apalachicola is that the Apalachicola River is fed by a three-river system. So you've got water coming down from Georgia. Um, the headwaters are north of Atlanta coming down into the bay. Well, the nutrients that are coming down from that fresh water are what feed the <laughs> oyster population in Apalachicola Bay. So when those nutrients come down, that's what they're feeding on, is all of the stuff that's coming out of those waters into the bay. And it constantly needs to be replenished because there's so many oysters in Apalachicola Bay that they're constantly cleaning. And they have certain salinity requirements. Mm -hmm. So they have they have to have that fresh water coming in because if they have too much salt, then they can't they can't process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what's happening is that so much water is being dammed off and used for agricultural and residential and all of that use north of the bay that the waters aren't coming into the bay and it's hurting the oyster population. It's killing yeah. that oyster population because those oysters aren't able to feed the way that they would naturally. And that's what this whole water war with Florida and Georgia is about is whose water is it? Yeah. Is it, it Georgia's through, water? Because it, Georgia it comes first. from Georgia mm -hmm. and it, they're just letting us use it in our bay. And that's that's the part that Atlanta is so growing. hard. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that like Lake Lanier and where they're where they're damming off these huge sections and really, you know, diverting this water from the river systems, um, it's it's obviously detrimental to the bay. And but it's hard because like I like like they say, you know, the way that the the logistics of it are is whose water is it? Yeah. It starts in Georgia. Well but what's it, the solution? 
the Supreme use Court. Less water, use less water. Use less water in Atlanta, and that's mm-hmm. have less people in Atlanta is the right. solution. And but that's is really that going to happen? No. no. I, I was talking with the, uh, not to plug Bojams too much, but I was talking with, uh, with the Zuma guys, and the, uh, Ryan lives in Atlanta, and he, they were talking, and I've talked to cousin, cousin Dan too, who lives in Atlanta, and it's like it's like the new Hollywood out there. Oh yeah. It's ridiculous. Everything is filmed out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia's done yeah. a really good job of uh, boosting. The well, and that's another thing yeah. too is, um, you know, Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of almost all of the Marvel movies are done in Pinewood Studios, which mm-hmm. is the big. So Disney's using Atlanta, and it's because they have incentives for those things. And that's something that I really feel like Florida is missing the missing the boat on mm-hmm. is. Um, Film production. Film production. Mm-hmm. There was a time where Florida was huge for film production. You know, it was going to be the new Hollywood. Yeah. And it's because in Florida you can go from Pine Forest to the Bahamas in 40 miles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can go to all of these yeah, different set. sets in one town. Yeah. You know, you guys situate in Tampa and you can pretty much hit almost all of the world mm-hmm. in, in that Tampa Bay area. Um, but there's no incentives for the companies to come in. There's no filming incentives. There's no tax incentives. There's no nothing. Yeah, it's all tourism. Right. So they're like, well, we'll go to Georgia. Georgia's mm-hmm. going to give us breaks to film there. Georgia wants us there. They're going to give us incentives to come there. Uh, so they went to Georgia because you can do a lot of the same stuff in Georgia yeah. that you can do in Florida. Uh, and it's not something that we've lost out on, but it's something that they should really We're consider because yeah. it's something that you know could really be a revenue boost for Florida and really not that Florida needs more people to know about it, but it's something that we could do that would be a, a less detrimental industry to then, pump than tourism. Yeah. yeah. And then, still show up yeah. our state. Then, turn, then the turning Okeechobee into a toilet. Yeah. You know, you could, you could generate money for the state in a non-detrimental way. Yeah. And I think that that's a big thing about Florida. It's, it's so odd because Florida is almost like this oxymoron. I feel like in Florida, and, and it's also the circles that you run with, I guess, too. But I feel like there's more environmentally conscious people or people who people who live in Florida love the nature of Florida. People who live in Florida really appreciate the, the natural resources of Florida. They really like them. But at the same time, they just think that they're kind of a given. People, you know, want to do stuff about it. And then they just kind of let these things happen that are horrible. And you can tell are horrible, but it's just kind of like... Well, you know, we've got to have condos. We've got to have hotel. How else are we going to bring money into our town? And it's like, well, the reason that they have those condos and stuff is because people want to see these things. And the more you put up these condos and things, You're the more you destroy those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's just like in, in African countries and stuff. The places that they've realized that, uh, you know, geotourism and biotourism is worth so... You can make so much more money out of an elephant if you show a million people that elephant a year than if you kill that elephant and you sell its tusks one day. Mm-hmm. You can make so much more money off of that. And that's all it is. It's just money. That's all anybody wants, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately. And... It's just money. But if you can teach people that they can make more money by embracing that natural resource and protecting the thing that people want to see, then it could change They'll everything. Switch that They'll yeah. change yeah. because they're going to make more money. Well, we're having a big problem with that here in Destin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just even since I've uh, lived around here since 96, it's bizarre, like, just what's happened. And uh, th- this this town is... Uh, it's out. It's outgrown its infrastructure capabilities, mm-hmm. and and that's another. That's why this. We just had a big local election here, and it kind of got out of hand because <clears throat> the, these big developers are, are able to donate large sums of money 
to these people. They have their hand in these people who mm-hmm. are like our, our new mayor. Uh, I think the the most fundraising dollars. I think two years ago. I don't want to misquote Chatham that was on the podcast, but I think he said like thirty something thousand. This year it went over; it went into six mm-hmm. figures. This year, right? That's insane, especially mm-hmm. for a small town like Destin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, and it's money that's coming from outside. It's mm-hmm. not you know not Destin money. Yeah. Out for and people. they want to put yeah right right where the Emerald Grand is here anyway. Um, right 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 across the bridge when you come across the bridge, that monstrosity of a building mm-hmm. right there that just takes up any view mm-hmm. you have right. of Destin. Uh, they're wanting to put. Uh, another high rise directly across the street from that, uh, like right in front of McGuire's, where that is. So you'd have to drive through these two condos right, two, as yeah. you come into just them. Century towers, giant towers. Yeah. You know, as you're coming into uh, legitimately more. one of the most beautiful beaches. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it, you know, de- hands down in the state, but it could possibly mm-hmm. in the world. You yeah. know, like it, it's got to be one of the best beaches. Well, and that's what's so sad is the, and that's one thing that I love about where I live. Um, you know, living in Franklin County, it's something like 85% state owned and protected lands. Yeah. So even if they wanted to develop things there, like they can't. And it worries. That's why we go there. And, 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 and (laughs) and I, and and I worry because there will be a day where that changes. Yeah. And as this place runs out of room, they're going to keep moving down. You can tell the way the difference between here and Panama City. You can look at Mexico Beach. And everything else. You know, and you can already see that Mexico Beach is starting to Panama City. You know, Mm -hmm. it's starting to build up. Yep. You know, and it's only a matter of time before St. Joe starts to build up. And then when St. Joe starts to build up, the only next thing is Apalachicola mm-hmm. and, and East Point, And it'll be land that's cheap for them to develop. Even in the two years that I've been on the island at St. George, I would say that I've seen at least, at least 10 three-story houses go up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least. I've seen that many in my neighborhood just yeah. in this past year. Um, and that's the thing too, like it's, I guess Destin's easy because you're, I don't know, more popular than where we are, uh, because we are, a, you know, it's nice. We have a slow paced area and we are a little bit, even though we are tourist based, it's not as much as this, but it also means that because we don't have any other industry, I only work nine months out of the year yeah. and the entire rest of the winter time, my entire town, everything in Port St. Joe, the restaurants close, everything closes. So that means every single worker in that town has to save up all their money all summer long and nobody has a job in the wintertime. There's very, very few people that work in the wintertime there. And so it's like a feast and famine kind of economy that we have there, which is obviously not healthy, um, but it's because we don't have anything but the tourism. And that's the thing, because you want to promote more of that tourism so you have more jobs, but they're only nine months of the year. Yep. And, and it'd be better, like he was saying, some other industry, any other industry that takes advantage of, you know, Flora's resources but doesn't exploit them. Well, and, and you know, going back to what we were talking about, about, like, outside influence on elections, anything that happens in the Mexico Beach and St. Joe area, people are deciding on that who come here for nine months out of the year. Yeah, they're coming from Atlanta, or they're and coming, they're making you know, they're decisions down, for us. And they're, yeah. they're making decisions on how things should be done because they're making decisions based on their vacation. They want it to be ideal for their vacation whenever they come down, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the year, everybody who lives there has just got to deal with it. Yeah. Like they've they've been trying to do the leave no trace ordinance, um, you know, for sea turtles. It's a very very high density of nesting sea turtles in the beaches there. Uh, the Forgotten Coast has the two highest density beaches and the Panhandle, uh, just in that little area. But they've been trying to do this leave no trace ordinance, and it constantly keeps getting hung up. And it's because there's hotels and stuff along the way that are like, oh well, I've got you know this is going to cut into my business. I've got these chairs out here, and I can't 
pull these I don't want to have off. to move them at night. That's yeah. what comes That's down basically to what it is. Yeah. I'm trying to say it very Or these people that rent a house, they're like, you know, when we were kids, you had a beach umbrella. I'm sure you, mm. you went to the beach with an umbrella. Nowadays, everybody's got these crazy canopies. They got to bring a cooler and all their chairs plus a gazillion floats. So they want to bring their stuff down on Monday and they want to leave it on that beach till Friday. Yeah, and just so leave that it out. They want to be lazy and not pack it all. And they yeah. want to go to the beach, but they want to sit in the shade, which I do not get at all. Mm-hmm. Like either go for five minutes, take a swim, and go back home. But you just want to sit there and sit look in your at car it in yeah. the shade. Yeah. I don't know. So and that's the thing is they just are too lazy to pack it in and out, and and it's so detrimental. And, the, and it was even and it was even like. Uh, they had like this weird compromise thing that was like keep it neat and it was like you can leave your crap on the beach but like try and put, put it, it in a pile, one pile. Was so that a, if a sea turtle hits it it'll be like oh there's a pile here and go I'd go out at night and fill my garage yeah right? that's what that's Shit. what I was saying that would be want? a really easy a way to enforce right. it yeah really way, easy way to enforce it anything after dark is free yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I would say yeah mm-hmm. We, it's we not theft if you leave your shit out, right. right? Yeah, exactly. You're just leaving it on the beach abandoned. We should run for public office. That'll you want our, to? That'll be our platform. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave your shit on the beach or it's my shit. Your shit's my shit. Yeah. <laughs> Simple rules. Yeah, we aren't funded by anyone. Yeah. We're funded by your canopy. Exactly, <laughs> man. You like my canopy? Well, I'm going to take it in at night. It used to be your canopy. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, I want to switch gears here for just a second. Something that I've, as I listen to your podcast, which I'm definitely a big fan of it. But one thing I wanted to say about being a captain, dive instructor, everything on the water, I wanted to tell people a little bit about my story only because four years ago I had a government job. Uh, if you think about the worst government job you could imagine doing, that was the government job I was doing. And I had been doing it for 10 years. So I was a third of the way through retirement. I had government benefits, all these paid holidays, all the easy cake stuff that people beg for. Uh, but I sat inside an office and stared out the window for eight hours a day. And I watched these beautiful sunny days go past me and it was making me absolutely miserable. I, I didn't like it. I wasn't happy with my life. I had, you know, I spent every time planning my next day off. I wanted those three day weekends. I wanted that week long vacation where you're working 52 weeks just to get one week of break, you know? And so I was like, I just can't do it anymore. I decided that, you know, it was definitely more important for me. Why am I going to enjoy my life when I'm old and retired? I'm going to be achy and, Mm -hmm. you know, past it all my life and you, yeah, you're gonna me. look back and say i spent 30, 30 years, years sitting inside of a, yeah sitting yeah. inside staring out while my soul died yep. uh and so i decided to quit my job i went ahead and just left that government job 10 years almost to the dot uh left that government job and you know i took a little bit of time to decide what i wanted to do in fact i almost went into the music industry i kind of like thought about doing management or something like that mm-hmm. and uh you know looked into it kind of did a little bit of research and stuff but that was I, I also like diving, so it was kind of between the two things. And I actually liked music so much that I was afraid that if I worked in the industry, it would make me not like it as much. And you know exactly how that is. Yeah. And that's what I'd watched, you know. I'm friends with, you know, Chris uh, Acreage, and mm-hmm. so I'd watched him do yeah. shows, and he'd sit back there fiddling and, and working the shows the whole time. And, you know, I was just like, man, I miss being able to sit in the, you know, it'd be nice just sit in the back and enjoy a show uh, and not worry what everybody's doing and making sure everything turns out right. Uh, so that's why I decided to go into diving and get my captain's license and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I did the captain's license and then I ended up moving to the keys uh which was another big thing I only I basically knew one person which was the person that was going to give me the dive instruction and I uh you know left everything up here moved down to the keys and did uh my diving training and everything down there when I had my captain's license and kind of got the experience and stuff that I needed 
and made a whole career. You know what I mean? I changed careers right then. I was just like, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want people to feel like they're stuck doing what they're doing or they have to stay inside or, you know, people feel this pressure. You have to get those bills paid or you have to have things. That's what it comes down to. You have to have things. I took my cost of living and I looked at every bill that I had in my life and I was like, how can I make these bills less? How can I have my cost of living so low that making money is not my number one goal in life? Mm -hmm. Because that's why I had that soul crushing job is because I needed to make money. So I took those bills and kind of whittled them down so that my cost of living was much, much lower. Uh, That made moving to the Keys possible so that I was able to get down there and afford to live down there because cost of living is so expensive. Uh, And I got a real good job and kind of, you know, did what I I liked and everything. But it's, I don't know, when, to me, when you choose a path like that and you do things that are the right things, the thing that, the thing that feels right to you, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you'll even say this too, because I know you're successful. To me, the universe lays it out for you. When I made that decision to quit that job and go into this thing that was fulfilling my life, because that's the number one goal is to fulfill my life. um, It, everything fell into place it all fell into place exactly perfect and everything's aligned even even living in port st joe where i'm working at and meeting skip yeah uh you know we've only been together a little over a year but meeting him definitely it's one of those things where how could the two of us be in that same area we had, we actually we moved and... to the area i moved to st george island for my job almost to the day that she moved to St. Joe full time. Yeah. Uh, so, we didn't know each other for a year of us mm-hmm, being there, mm-hmm. but we had both moved there at like almost the exact same yeah. time. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, if people are afraid to make that decision or they, uh, the biggest thing, afraid to leave that security. Yeah. When you have that full-time job and you're making that same amount of money every single week and it's really tough to leave that security, mm-hmm. uh, but it is totally worth well, it. I think, I think a lot of times people feel powerless mm-hmm. over, uh, you know, if, if you really only worry about the things that you can change and you can control, you're going to be more fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, my story is kind of similar to what you, mine, I was, it was basically the service industry for me. It was bartending. I bartended for a decade, mm-hmm. um, all through college, all that. As soon as I, <clears throat> as soon as I got off active duty with the military, I, I went pretty much straight into bartending to pay for, to, to finish paying for school and all that. And it, it got to the point I was kind of where you were in it to where, like, I, I felt like I was dying. Oh, yeah, because you're a zombie because you've worked till mm-hmm. 3 a.m. Yeah. every single night. You're sleeping all day yeah. long. Yeah, no, all, it, I couldn't have a meaningful relationship mm-hmm. with anyone. Like, it just, uh, and it got to the point, too, to where, like, just my, my hours got so crazy. I was working insane hours, um, you know, 60-hour weeks, mm-hmm. and then I was, I was fucking drinking way too much and all that. And then finally, one day, I just, like, that's, I have to, dude, I saw a YouTube video. Someone shared a YouTube video, like a, a minute and a half, two minutes long or whatever. And it was it basically just stated that, you know, you're in control of all this. And I was like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And I have, I have no choice. My only option is to be successful at it. Mm-hmm. It's, there's no turning back because I'm yeah. like, there's no way I can go back and do what I was doing. Um, just cause it didn't work for me. And yeah. you're right. As it's soon as, crushing. as soon as you do that, like, you know, I was, uh, my relationships improved, <laughs> you know, um, a, a lot of things improved in my life. Now it's just the hours haven't decreased, right? <laughs> you know, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm still spending more hours, but it's for working yourself. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, and for others, but still it's, it's, it's doing, it is for the mm-hmm. most part, for the most part it is. And that so. was, and, and not to, you know, be the third person in the room and mm-hmm. go, my stories like that too. Yeah. I also had something like that happen. Yeah. But uh, I was working in retail 
you know, uh, before I got this job as a park ranger. I've only been a park ranger for about two and a half years. Mm. Uh, I've always loved nature. I've always loved Florida. I've I was born and raised here. You know, I think that we're an insane state for biodiversity. Like it's just it's just nuts. You know. Um, so it's something that I've always wanted to do, and I went to school for theater uh, when I was 18. I moved from Bradenton. I lived in one house my whole life, never moved. And when I was 18, like that summer, I moved to art school, uh, and I went to art school, and I was I wanted to do acting, and like that was the thing that I wanted to do. But there was like something about it where I was like, I enjoyed it, but I knew that it wasn't going to be a career. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to move to New York and try it, or I wasn't going to move to California and, and yeah. go for it. So I kind of fell into this rut where I was just working like retail, worked at like Walmart. Uh, I moved to Tallahassee and, uh, I, when I finished with Walmart, when I was finally like, I'm done, I started working at a smoke shop in Tallahassee actually. <laughs> and yeah, that's what I was doing. And so, you know, at the time it was fun cause I was like a kid, you know, and I was into it and it was, it was a neat job. People knew me from it, you know, and it was fun, but it's that same thing where you start to realize that's like not going anywhere. It's a soul crushing experience and you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So even though you're getting that money and even though you're going in and you're, you're enjoying, you're not doing anything. So uh, it took me years, probably yeah, five, existing. six years yeah. of just going through the motions and then being like, you know, I was watching a documentary on the, nat- uh, the state parks of Florida and I was like, you know what? I think I could be a park ranger because I had a misunderstanding uh, of what a park ranger was in reality, you know, because you have this idealized version. I'm going to mm. be holding deer and high five yeah. campers all day long, you know, <laughs> and it's, that's not what it is. Um, but you know, I was like, well, that's what I want to do. So I started applying for jobs and I applied for St. George Island was the first one I ever applied for. And uh, I didn't get an interview or anything. I didn't get a call back or anything, but I applied to every job that came open in the state for a year. Because I was just ready to be done with Tallahassee. I was done with the things that I was doing there. I was ready to just Mm. move on and and do something that was fulfilling. Um, And I applied to everyone that came open in the state for a year. Uh, And I got two interviews in that amount of time. And it was almost a year to the day that I got the interview at St. George from the first time that I applied at St. George. And I actually didn't get that job. Um, because I didn't have the background experience, you know, I didn't, I didn't have forestry, forestry yeah. experience, which is one of the most ridiculous, how in the world are you supposed to get forestry experience? It's not like running a register mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know, but anyway, so I took a volunteer job with FWC and whenever I took that volunteer job, I got lucky enough, um, that my boss now called me back and was like, Hey, we have somebody transferring. And before I even list this job, I'd like to offer it to you. Sweet. Uh, so I was able to take that job and it was the same thing. I was living in a trailer, uh, and not a, not even a trailer, a camper. Uh, I had a 19-foot, it's called a hybrid camper. Mm-hmm. So the bed part of it where I was sleeping was like a tent that came out of a hard shell camper. So for a year, I was in that tent. It was the best year of working mm-hmm. that I've ever had in my yeah. entire life. You know, and I was sleeping in a tent. When it rained, it rained. You know, when mm-hmm. it, it was, but it's so fulfilling, you know. No matter how grueling a day is, I can say that, you know, I've held a baby sea turtle, mm. like fresh out of the egg, you yeah. know, like I've inventoried sea turtle nest. Yeah. <laughs> like I've watched that so turtle go into the gear. ocean. Yeah. yeah. And you know, sure. There's days where there's like a horrible blown out diaper, like smeared across the wall in the bathroom, some horrible thing. But whenever I go outside, a family of dolphins goes by yeah. and like, you know, and, and you get to see these things and you really feel fulfilled. Whenever I go and tell somebody don't feed the seagulls, 
I don't just go, don't feed the seagulls. I go, you know, obviously you guys really like these seagulls and I get that, but you're really hurting them by feeding them this stuff because they can't digest it. You know, they never eat popcorn. It never happens. Mm -hmm. They'll never <laughs> eat popcorn. So don't feed them popcorn. And I, I hope that whenever I leave those people, they think about it in that respect, not just a guy who was like, hey, stop yeah. feeding those seagulls. But it does. It makes it feel more fulfilling. So at the end of the day, whenever I've had a crappy day at work, it's still fulfilling because I know that I did something. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting paid less, you know, working here. And, I, and there's a heck of a lot less to do because I'm living in the middle of nowhere. But again, you know, it does it, it life puts out that that path for you. Yeah. I never in my life ever thought that I was going to get married ever. Like that was never, ever something. And not because I'm like confirmed bachelor, mm. but it's just because, you know, I, I just never thought that you'd be able to get that connection. You know, that mm. that you thing was something where, yeah, where you're just like, this is the person that this is it. I yeah. found them. Like, there's no point in really looking around. And if I hadn't gotten this job, if I hadn't done these things and I hadn't made those decisions, I would have never met Leila. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, it would have never happened. We would have never run into each other. And I've never met somebody who I felt more connected with. I mean, obviously, because I proposed to her. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I've been in lots of long-term relationships. And, and it's just, like you say, you get in that comfort. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're scared... I'm easily, I, I roll a seven in dice. Now I could easily roll, uh, you know, a 12, but I could also roll a three. So I don't want to roll those dice again because I'm at a seven and a seven's all right. Mm. And, and there's, you, you can't allow yourself. I mean, I have an arts degree, yeah. you know, I went to school for musical theater and I'm a park ranger. You know, and I, and I do well at it. I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but, but like people, people like me, actually, you know, I get lots of good reviews. People enjoy me. You know, the, the management seems to like me. Too. I'm knowledgeable about the stuff. I like to talk to people. Yeah. And it's about finding those things that that was my amalgamation of my skills. I can tell you everything about an alligator. And I can also project my voice and enunciate and, and, and talk to people, yeah. not be afraid to, to interject or to see somebody looking at a gator and go, oh, you guys like that gator, you know, they can bite underwater or something <laughs> like that, you know? Mm -hmm. It was finding that way of using it. So instead of me being working at an improv in Chicago somewhere, which I could probably do, mm -hmm. I'm doing that same sort of thing every time I'm interacting with somebody, it's improv because yeah. I don't know what they're going to say to me. I don't know what their situation is. And I'm just kind of make not making it up, not making it up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know, going with that flow and it's yeah. finding, it's finding the ways that you can take the things that you're passionate about and make them into something that, that you can do yeah. and, and finding that and not being afraid to pursue it yeah. because there are ways to pursue your passions and, you know, and not be successful. To, right. It's not about money. It's about like I say, the way I love so many people spend their lives working to do the things that they want to do. And they work through the years that they can do those things. Yeah. I don't want to be 60 and then go, let's check out Machu Picchu, mm. you know, because I don't think I'm going to be a very healthy 60 year old. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm doing this keto diet. I mean, yeah. a lot of fat right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but you know, it's one of those things where I'd rather, have those experiences and, and know that I'm doing something that's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Even if I, you know, save one tree in the park, I, that's a tree that wouldn't have got saved before. Yeah. Some kids hitting it with a hatchet and I go up and go, Hey, 
quit that. Mm. You know, this tree's a tree. Yeah. Quit being, quit being a little dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it might fall on you and we're going to get lucky. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, being able to share that stuff, it, it is. It's really fulfilling. Yeah. And, I, and I love that. And, and it goes from just doing it. Yeah, man, I've been talking, to, I've been talking with Kelby a lot like, like the last few months um, about really trying to simplify a, a lot. It just like, I want less shit. Mm-hmm. I want, it, it's so crazy it, because that's not, you know, six, seven years ago, I used to think about what, you know, what was the definition of success mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. versus uh, what society thinks it is. Oh yeah. And, and so of course I just got that grind mentality. Just fucking grind, 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 grind. Make as much as you can. But for what? It's what about yeah. that why? Why? Fucking why? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why? So you can have more things in your house. Yeah, and buy it's, more yeah, that takes pillows. that takes more of your time. You buy decorative pillows, mm-hmm. and you know, like curtains and things yeah. like that. If you go to the Goodwill for a yeah. buck, you can get something that covers your window, mm-hmm. and you can not work for yep. eight more hours oh, just yeah. by saving that money. Yep, it's it, it is. I just and I've re- it's going to take a little bit, but oh, I, yeah. I have to find I, I have to continue to find ways to simplify and free up some more of my time and and have less. The, the more things you have, the more the, the more that possesses your time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because you have to go around, dust all those shelves. You yeah. have to reorganize all yeah. those things. You yeah. have to yeah. wash. You guys stay in our house. Things. How much shit do we have in our house? Oh, sure. We do too. We have a lot. We've of got shit. the same amount of shit. Yeah. Half the house. Yeah. There's yeah. two of us, we and we have combined, three rooms full yeah, of shit. Yeah, so right. so we just combined two households. Yeah. So now we've got two households <clears> worth of stuff. We've got a house and a 19 foot trailers worth of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For two of us. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, we've even been talking about talking about like simplifying your life. We've even talked about um, building an off grid homestead, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the future and having something that is so minimalist that we're self sustaining, you know, ourselves. I want to do that. So. I know. And, and it's and it comes from that same sense of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That's what life is really about is fulfillment. Yeah. People try to sell and people you something think that else. Money yeah. is fulfilling. Yeah. They yeah. want to sell you this American dream, but it is not. But the American dream is yeah. just to have a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. And the American really dream is to own is. more stuff. They want to yeah. make it where you right. everybody has needs to have two cars. Everybody yeah. needs Well, to that's what makes it nice is you've got two or cars. Or an RV. Now. You need a boat or a camper mm-hmm. or both. Or yeah. both. Uh, yeah. What are you going to do yeah. in the winter? I've been telling Kelly forever like I want to sell our boat and she she doesn't not want to. But I I get to use that because I'm so busy right now. I get to use that boat three times a year. Right. And then I've got to, you know. You have just, to maintain I, it. Every time yeah. you go to use it, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you $1,000 to yeah. fix whatever's on it that's broken, plus a full tank of ethanol-free mm-hmm. gas. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so and, and that's the thing. Like, Kelby doesn't, she doesn't see a lot of that. Right. Because she, she just thinks that the boat just it's works. Boat we just put yeah, it in the, we we just put in the water. Ride the boat. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why you that's just that. have friends with boats. Yeah. Or I'm lucky enough where I work for a boat rental company. So right. anytime so I want anytime. a boat, I can just borrow one of theirs. Yeah. And I don't have to, you know, I wash it and they do all the rest of the stuff on it. Yeah. But I mean, that's just an example, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's another thing that costs you money. You yeah. work. How many hours do you work just to maintain that boat when yeah. you barely get to enjoy it or use it? And really, you know, you have paddle boards. You have other things that mm. you could go out and enjoy easier, quicker, cheaper than you could enjoy that boat for. Yeah. Or if you really want to enjoy the boat, you could just take that 400 bucks and go rent a boat for the day. Absolutely. And, right. Yeah. And just drop and it let somebody off. Else you worry put about your it. stuff and it's gonna be a nicer boat. Yeah, away. absolutely. Yeah. Brand new. Yeah. No offense yeah. to your boat. No, I just saw those boats. Yeah, every time you turn the yeah, when you turn the key, the engine starts. Things right, that, yeah. when it's your own boat, you know you have to keep it at that state. It's a lot of maintenance. People don't realize that, but it's a lot of maintenance to keep a boat in a good working, mm-hmm. running condition unless you use it all the time. Yep. 
It's yep. very, very difficult. But yeah, that's just, those yeah. things end up owning you. Yeah, listen to this, people. Listen to us. It's true. This is Let, what... Own this is less what shit. Yeah, guys. Quit your jobs. It's about fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. Eat more fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look yeah. at birds. Yeah. Pick yeah. up shells. I also, too, wanted to throw in that your state park job, in addition to having a degree uh, you know, for theater and stuff, but he also worked at the planetarium in Tallahassee. I did. I did so work at the planetarium. So he already had... You know, I don't yeah, know what that was that was like knowledge. my yeah. Oh, I like that celestial yeah. knowledge. Yeah, I call it the knowledge of the cosmos, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, different strokes for different folks. But uh, yeah, that was one of the big things I think really helped is that I did have an interpretive background mm-hmm. because I was like, well, yeah, I do the planetarium shows at Challenger Learning Center. Shout out to anybody who's listening in Tallahassee. You should go check it out. It's a cool place. Cheap IMAX movies, if nothing else. Um, yeah. But uh, it's uh, it was a really really cool experience. It was something where I've always been into the stars. It was kind of like birds. I'm I'm very much the kind of person where when I get into something, I'll get all of the knowledge of that thing. Like I will look up everything yeah, yeah. that I can about it. Yep. Birding, so to speak. I've only been doing for like four years. Mm. You know what I mean? That I've been listing birds and really identifying the birds and stuff like that. Um, whenever I was getting into uh, that stuff, you know, I, I like to just get as much knowledge about the thing as I can. So I got into astronomy because Black Friday they had a telescope that was $40 somewhere. And I was like, oh man, $40 for a telescope. That'll be cool to like look at the moon. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the moon and I was like, ooh, the moon's really cool. And I started looking at other stuff. And then I just got into it and I just started learning as much as I could. And I got lucky I became friends with somebody who worked at the planetarium. And he was actually leaving the job at the planetarium. And he's like, well, you can talk. He's like, and you're not afraid to talk to people. So all you need to do is kind of learn the script. And once you learn the script, you can do the star shows. Because it changes on such a gradual scale that the star show stays the same for like three months. You know, because everything moves so gradually. Um, So I went in, I interviewed for that job, and I got that job. And I worked at the planetarium for about a year. So I was doing school uh, field trips, you know, kids would come in and I'd tell them all about the stars and stuff. And then we'd show them like a movie or whatever. And, uh, it allowed me to get that interpretive work with the public. So whenever I came to the park, I used to go to St. George all the time just for the dark sky. Well, that's what I was just going to comment. It's I mean, so living out there, living out there has to be dark, like yeah. a dream for you. It's insane. So yeah. like, um, I used to drive down and it's roughly about a two hour drive from Tallahassee, depending on where you live in the city down to St. George. Um, and I used to drive down at night for meteor showers because it's so clear out there. But then you stay out there till five in the morning. Yeah. Excuse me. And then you have to drive back to Tallahassee. So I was like, horrible. Now I can just step out of my camper and I'm already there. Yeah. I can set an alarm for three o'clock. You know what I mean? And then go outside the camper and, and I'm there. Mm-hmm. So whenever I came in for my interview, I was like, you know, I think that this is a really underutilized resource. I think it's something that people don't consider as a resource of the park because we Everybody are 70 miles. Beaches. Right. They think about beaches. They think about sea turtles. But we're 70 miles from a city center. We have no light pollution out here. We're 85% state-owned, protected land. So it is like crazy And dark. three miles mm-hmm. offshore. Yeah. So um, I'm in the process right now. I've, I've actually sent in the application. I'm just kind of waiting on it, uh, waiting to hear about an IDA application, which is the International Dark Sky Association, uh, and they're the people who designate places as dark sky like havens. Yeah. Or, uh, or um, it, I, I would assume that'd be instant. I, you well, have you have much. To you them, have right? to. You it's, put in an application, and then you like explain. You it's just like any bureaucracy. You know, you you explain what your park has to offer, or your place. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a park. Your place has to offer. Uh, how you're going to make it accessible to the public. 
what the actual readings are. They want to know like your There's exact. A that tells you how dark it's called a unihedron is. reader or a okay. UHD meter, and you just like hold it over your head, and it reads the amount of darkness to the amount of starlight. Yeah, and it gives you a number based on that for how dark your sky is. So to get, they have like bronze, silver, and gold. To get gold tier, you have to be above like twenty one point seven five. Do you know what yours is? I've had readings as high as twenty two point one. Okay. So, so I've had gold readings, yeah. Uh, I've had silver readings as well, but we've had lots of gold readings. So hopefully we're going to be gold. We would be the first park in Florida to be gold if wow. if we get gold. Um, there's Kissimmee Prairie Preserve is the other one in Florida, and it's a silver tier. But it's just below Orlando, so it has a huge light dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get a lot of light pollution from Orlando. And it's still an exceptional dark sky down there. It's just that ours is... A little bit darker. Yeah, we're farther from a major city center. Even Tallahassee and Panama City aren't massive light domes like Orlando is. Yeah, uh, they're still pretty small municipalities. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's it's very 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 awesome for us out there to have such a dark sky. Um, so I've sent in that application. It gets reviewed by a board. I'm actually in the process right now. I sent the application to the Florida chapter president, who's reviewing it right now. Uh, for me to see that She's I've got all my ducks in a row, yeah. From other high up uh, so then I'll be able to submit the application through the actual process once I get that feedback from her, and hopefully we'll be designated shortly. But I brought all that into the interview, and that that definitely helped too because I was like. You know, this is a possibility that I don't think anybody's even. But even really now, he about. got the state park to purchase a large telescope. Yeah, we have so an eight-inch Dobsonian. He'll have programs where the campers can come out. Yeah. and I converted know. I converted a webcam uh, so that it goes into the lens piece, so I can hook it up to a computer, so people don't have to look through the telescope to be able to see the thing. Mm-hmm. I can just have it on a computer screen, so oh, it's wow. ADA compliant. Yeah, it's accessible to anybody. They don't have to be able to get to where the telescope is to be able to see it. Um, so that really helps with things like planets that are constantly, you know, moving. When you have it in the viewfinder, two people look through the telescope and it's out of the viewfinder. Yeah. So by the time the third person goes up, I've got to go, oh, no, wait, let me put it back in. Uh, but with that, I can just kind of keep moving it along as the, as I talk about whatever the object is. Yeah. Um, but we just had like a manager meeting at work uh, where all of the district managers came to the park. And I was telling them about that. You know, this is something you can utilize at your park, even with a regular telescope and a $20 webcam yeah. and you can make, you know, just people seeing the moon. Also with the state parks, because of the sea turtles and the low light needed for the sea turtles, it kind of automatically puts the parks in with the dark sky. Yeah. If it's a coastal have, park, they, they have, have turtle lighting, turtle lighting. Yeah. Yeah. and IDA international dark sky association are the ones who set the guidelines for turtle lighting too. Mm-hmm. So like with our park, when it came lighting inventory time, I, I was you know, on easy street because I didn't have to go around and mark every light in the park and tell them what kind of bulb it was because we already had all that lighting inventory for sea turtles. So sea turtle lighting is very, very similar to dark sky lighting. You want stuff that's directional. And this is to anybody out there, you know, directional lighting is so much better for outside lighting, both uh, for the environment, for dark sky ecology, which all of these nocturnal animals are, designed to be in a dark environment not an environment that's light um, but also for your house you want the light on the ground you don't want the light in the sky so if you've got directional lighting you're lighting the areas that you want to light and you're leaving that scar or that sky dark so you can go out in your yard and look up and see the stars 
because you've just got that lighting directed. Yeah. Uh, and then amber lighting. We have a lot of amber lighting in the park. It doesn't affect your night vision. The sea turtles don't pick up the amber light. They only pick up the white light because mm-hmm. uh, they're naturally driven to the brightest direction. But their eyes don't register that amber light. Just like ours does. That's why it doesn't mess. Yeah. yeah. That's why it doesn't mess with your night vision mm-hmm. to have a red light. Um, so it's nice because I can tie so much into it. It's not just the stars at our park. I can talk about the ecology. I can talk about, you know, the way that light affects sea turtles, the way that light affects nocturnal animals. You know, people don't think about things like fireflies communicate by the flashing of mm-hmm. their butts. You know, they light up their abdomen. That's how they communicate. That's how they know where there's a receptive mate or a mate who's interested in them or show themselves off to a mate. Well, think about a cell phone tower. So if you think about a cell phone tower that's 100 miles away from a field that a firefly is in, and that firefly sees the flash of that light tower, he'll spend his entire life cycle moving towards that flash because he thinks it's a firefly who's in the field with him. But he's moving towards some tower that's 50 miles away because he's seeing that flash, and he'll never reach a mate. So you've got a firefly that's not, and how many fireflies are being affected by that cell phone tower that's just flashing so that we don't hit it with a plane. That is so sad. You know, it's something that you don't, but people don't think about the way. You're making me really hate hate myself. And And you hate, yeah, it's difficult when you see the resources of Florida and you want to protect them. Mm. You want to enjoy them, but you want to protect them. Well, and that's what the hardest balance is. With the Florida Park Service, the, the mission statement is to protect Florida's cultural and natural resources while providing resource-based recreation, mm-hmm. or to provide resource-based Access, recreation yeah, uh, while protecting, interpreting, and restoring Florida's natural and cultural resources, in case any of my bosses are listening. That's mm-hmm. the way that the mission statement actually goes. Um, but it is. It's finding that balance of allowing people to come out and go on the beach and have a great time, but also telling them you know, that this beach is super important to... American oyster catchers, piping plovers, loggerhead sea turtles. You can't go in the dunes. Don't let your dog run through the dunes because he's going to chase these poor little birds that are on the nest. And, and that and that's a big thing. That. Yeah, here let me let me throw a couple of things out there for people who go out to the beach. We're getting to beach weather now. <laughs> the reason that they don't want your dog on the beach doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that people don't pick up their dog's poop. Most people do pick up their dog's poop uh, to a, to a large extent. That is a small portion of it. The biggest part is that state park beaches are almost always the exclusive areas for nesting for anything that would nest on the beach. And that's because they're the last protected beaches in most areas. If you go out in Destin or you go to Panama City, yeah. You know, St. Andrew's Beach is the only section of beach that isn't a condo beach. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that state park is the only area where all of this species of bird that would normally nest the entire entire coast can only nest in that area. So when you go out with your dog, the birds are naturally instinctively wary of a four-legged predator. All of their predators are four-legged. So when they see your dog, even though it's your dog and even though the dog isn't near them, the birds leave the nest and that leaves that nest open to real predators. Your dog isn't the problem. Your dog but is great. But the seagulls great. will come in and eat the babies. But a seagull come and eat it. A ghost crab has easy access to the eggs, to the chicks. Anything can get at those chicks because whenever that bird leaves the nest, they're going to leave the nest for roughly 30 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. um, because they're they're either going to try and scare that predator off, they're going to try and distract the predator or something, but it leaves that nest open. Mm-hmm. And that's just at seeing the dog. It's not even the dog needing to be in the dunes or anything like that. Yeah. So that's the big thing. It's not that your dog is even the predator. Your dog isn't a danger to those birds at all, but it's a danger to the chicks by proxy 
because when it yeah whenever that bird flies off it opens it to other predators yeah. so that's the reason that we tell you not to put your dog on the beach we understand that you're gonna pick up your poop mm-hmm. and i love dogs i've got a dog but i can't take them on the beach of the park and mm-hmm. i have to tell people that all the time i live there and i can't yeah. take them on the beach of the park you know what i mean because it's just not it's not it's for the not, environment. That's it's not what it's about. you to play ball with your dog on the beach, which is really fun and nice, right. but out of all the area in the whole state, this is the only area You've got 20 other miles of beach on yeah. the island that you can go and play fetch with your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, this nine miles is needed by these birds, yeah. is needed by these animals. You know, sure. Because it, it's the only thing Because it's all them. they've got. Yeah. And we've even got an area that it's hard to explain to people. We've got an area in the park. You've got four miles of day-use area, and then there's a gate, and then there's five miles of road that goes out to the very tip of the island. And there isn't much out there. I mean, it's a beautiful area. It's one of the only places on the island where you can see the bay and the gulf at the same time. It's it's completely untouched. There aren't even bathrooms. It's a graded road. There's nothing. It's just a parking lot and a graded road. Um, but it's hard to explain to people why there's an extra fee or why that's gated off or why that's not part of the park. And it's because that exact same thing. We have so many species that are endangered or federally listed or monitored that that five miles of beach has to remain undisturbed and we have to limit the amount of cars that go down there because we can't have a hundred people driving down there a day because if there's a bird on a nest, it's going to run off that nest anytime a car drives by, you know, it's going to try and distract. We had a snowy plover uh, nested in the park and she had nested maybe two, three feet from the side of the road. I mean, she had nested right by the side of the road. Yeah. So anytime a car came down the East end, she would be off the nest and running down the road to try and distract that, predator yeah away from her nest so she was leaving that nest 20 30 times a day you know to run off of this nest so that's why they have this gate and like a special fee because if you're going to go down there we want you to respect the resource if you have to pay an extra six dollars to go somewhere you're going to go well there's obviously something more special about this place than the rest of the park so you hope that that would you know putting a monetary number on yeah. something makes people respect it a little bit more i think uh, but it also limits the amount of people that want to go down there mm-hmm. and it's hard to find that balance yeah. of allowing a place to be recreated without being destroyed yeah you know and, because and, and the state parks are for the people it's the people's land it is for the people yeah. to enjoy we have we have s- we have seven rangers and the entire park yeah we have nine miles of beach on the gulf side 12 miles of shoreline on the bay side and we have seven rangers that do all of it. And only two of us are ever working at any given time. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's seven on the whole staff. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's so hard to stay on top of those things because, you know, there's so many people. We do 300,000 people a year in visitation. And almost all of that is between April and September. So you've got to figure out, there's, there's summer days where there's literally two guys in the field one guy at a time there's only like you know four or five hours of the day where there's two of us Mm -hmm. the rest of the day is one or the other and we've got to try and monitor that whole beach and keeping dogs out of the beach but you're also emptying trash cans you're also telling people not to feed seagulls you know making sure sure people aren't on the dunes are working somebody tears a pipe out of the ground in the campground then you've got to run over there yeah somebody runs over something with their camper you can go down and fix that you know, if, uh, it, you know, if See, people... See, now we're talking about the bad part of your job. Now we but it's not. But, but again, <laughs> I go out 
And it, I, I view every interaction that I have with people in the park as an opportunity for me to interpret to them something in the park. Yeah. If they're doing something, Educate. yeah, even if they're doing something wrong, they're only doing something wrong because they don't know. They don't, they know. don't know any better. You yeah. know what I mean? And they think that somebody's going to pick it up or that the stuff is there strictly for them. Like we planted these trees to be a park Mm -hmm. people. Like we put up the purple flag for stingrays and people go, Oh, is that only down here? Like, yeah, we put up a gate and it's just the stingrays (laughs) are only in the park. They're union stingrays. (laughs) They clock in and out every day. They're only here during park hours. Um, but it is one of those things where it's like, there's that disconnect. People think of it as because they paid to come in, it, it makes it, uh, a somewhat, like a water park plastic environment yeah it's it's an amusement park and not a natural resource resource. so i try and infuse that let them know you know the reason you're here is because it's beautiful obviously Mm -hmm. and the reason it's beautiful is because these dunes are undisturbed Mm -hmm. so if you're running around in the dunes they're not going to be undisturbed it's not going to be beautiful the next time you come right the reason you came here is because there aren't diapers in the parking lot Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so don't throw your diapers in the parking lot because that's how diapers get in the parking lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like trying to establish that, you know, the way that people think. So many yeah. people don't think that way, you know? I Somebody's going to come Yeah, I had up. a friend that worked at uh, Dewey Destin. It's a seafood restaurant right on the right on the uh, water here. And people would ask her, what time do the dolphins come? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People ask me where, what time the dolphins show up. Yeah. Uh, they ask me where the sea turtles are. Where the sea turtles mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Not even when they're going to show up. Where are they? Yeah. Like I've got a GPS on them or something. I don't know. And the water. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll think that that whole thing is just... A stage show. Just a stage yeah, it's thing. Like it's just not for them. real. Right, exactly. <laughs> that is not real. So it's, it's, it's a weird thing for sure that you'll get, you'll get people who definitely... I mean, we get people who come into the campground. They get out of their, you know, half a million dollar RV. They put their antenna on the ground outside their RV. They go back in their RV, and you don't see them again for 14 days until they come out of their RV, put their antenna back in their RV, mm-hmm. and leave. And go to the next state and park. And go to the next state so park. So that they can stay for $20 a night. Yeah, in their, $24 a night to stay at the park. In their moving house. And they have electric, yeah. water, bathroom, showers, and they're right on the beach. You know, they're like a walk away from the yeah, beach. What's that a month? Like 700 a month or something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's our part. to be Gulf front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and, and that depends. You know, there's there's seasonal rates. Some places are lower. Some places are higher. It depends on the resource. But it it's definitely cheaper than any other campground. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If you were to stay at some of the hotels on St. George, I don't want to say names because that's rude. Mm-hmm. But they oh, know God. that they're the only game in town. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's still a hundred and twenty five dollars a night, and mm-hmm. you're staying in like a Motel Six yep. for a hundred and twenty five dollars a night. Even my tent camper was. Yeah. A little bit better than some of the hotels that I've seen. Uh, and it, it's one of those things where it's just like, that's how those people use the park. And it stinks in a way because they're reserving the park like every year they reserve their spot. Like I've been there they're two and a half years snowbirds. and I see the people yeah. every yep. year yep. come back at the same time every year. And they're in the same spot every year. And there's people who come up all the time and they're like, yeah, we tried to get a spot here and we just can't. Because it books eleven months in advance and it books that quickly. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like there's no there's no room and and you've got people who want to enjoy the resource and want to come and and see it and then you've got people who are just can't you know mm. staying in a hotel staying, yeah. in, staying in their hotel. Cheap, yeah, they just want a cheap place to stay. And, and they don't care about the resource. That's at all. a tough thing with the state parks too because it the state parks do want to protect the resources but obviously like we were talking about everything comes back to money. Mm-hmm. So and nobody's going to give money to the state to not let people use the land. 
So they have to turn them, basically now all the state parks are almost like campgrounds. They're all RV parks. They're yeah. cheaper than anybody else's RV parks, and it's the way that the state can make revenue. Yeah. So it's the only way to protect those state lands is to exploit them in this way so the state can get the money from the exploitation to protect the lands. Well, it's just like everything. I mean, any any natural conservation uh, involves some form of exploitation. Because you have to exploit whatever the resource is to make people care about it. Mm -hmm. That's just like as horrible as SeaWorld is. How many people know what an orca is and know about orcas? Whether or not, you know, I don't want to get it political about it, whether or not the information is completely accurate or not. Uh, people know about the plight of orcas because of Shamu. Mm -hmm. So you've got like this sacrificial lamb, so to speak, where you've got this one individual now who's, you know, stuck in this tank for the rest of his life. But how many orcas has that saved? You know, how many how many people have gone into marine biology or, you know, gone into conservation because they saw Shamu when they were a kid or mm -hmm. something like that? Yeah. Same thing with the resources of the park. You know, you have to sacrifice a beach by making a parking lot and making a bike path so that people will come to that park and they'll go on that bike path and they'll see those dunes and they know how important those dunes are. You have to you have to put something substantial behind the sign. And that's mm -hmm. what I try and do. You know, if a sign says dogs prohibited or pets prohibited, it's much better to explain why a pet's prohibited than to just say pets prohibited. Yeah. Because people see that and they As go, well, not. Break. And, and well, and it's not even that. It's because we all, the collective we, rationalize everything. When we see that sign that says pets prohibited, they go, well, I pick up my dog's poop. And they're obviously and my dog's about. nice. Yeah, I'm good. Dog. yeah, I've got a good dog. Yeah. Everybody likes my dog. My dog likes everybody. It's not my dog that they're talking about. We're not talking about poop on the beach. We're not talking about having fun with a dog. We're talking about the natural resource. Yeah. That's why we do it. But you can't have a sign that's two paragraphs long that's like, birds use these areas to nest. And mm -hmm. you, you can't have that because they're walking to the beach. And yeah. they're not going to stop and read They're the not going to stop and read the sign. They don't even Absolutely. read the no dog sign. Right, exactly. One. So it, it's one of those things where it's like it, it's, it's such a constant battle because to save those areas – we're using them for recreation, but it's trying to find that balance yeah. between recreation and destruction. Well, at least at least you uh, realize that, right? Mm -hmm. Recognize that, right? So it's a it's nice, don't. yeah. So yeah. It, it's 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 really really interesting. And as my you know career expands or moves forward or up, hopefully, um, hopefully I'll have more, you know, pull, be yeah. able to be at a park and have kind of decisions on how that park is maintained or the the resources within that park that I think need protecting or mm -hmm. the resources in that park that do need protecting and how we can protect them better. Or, the or how to are. educate more public right. about your resources. If you get someone to care about something, and it's so easy to get somebody to care about something. It really is. It's just taking the time to share your passion with somebody. Mm -hmm. If you're passionate about something, you can get other people passionate about it. When I do a birding program at the park, for a week, the people who are staying at the park are coming up to me and telling me what birds they saw yeah. that whole week. Yeah. That whole time that they're there, they're, oh, I saw this and I saw that. I never realized there were so many birds. That's not going to stop when they leave the island. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they're thinking about that now. Mm -hmm. And it's it's as easy as showing them that there's two different colored birds, you know, or something like that, to get them thinking, to get them caring. I show them the night sky at the park, and they see how extraordinary it is. When they go home and they look up at the night sky, they, they'll see how that sky is different. Yeah. And they'll think about why they'll that turn sky off is different. Lights. Turn off mm. the porch light. Because yeah. they saw... Get your neighbor to turn off his porch light. And they, never, they might have looked up at the sky a thousand times at their house and never really thought about what it could look like or what it mm. should look like. Yep. Uh, and so when they see that resource, I'm not telling them that they're doing things wrong. But I'm telling them, you know, this is what you can do to 
have this. Yeah. You can have this too. And it's as simple as this, this, and this. Mm. Um, so it's it's giving them that that little nugget to think about. Yeah. If you can plant that seed, as cliche of a statement as it is, it's really true. Mm. If you can plant that seed deep enough and well enough, then it's going to sprout. Yeah. Because we all want knowledge. We all want to know things. And, and people like to be one up on people. So if someone gets knowledge about something, they love to share it. Knowledge. Yep. Mm. That's why I say supercilium. Supercilium is such a great sounding word, <laughs> but it's such an easy, simple concept. It's just a different color, you know, but mm. supercilium sounds so good. So people use that supercilium all the time. They'll yeah. say that word because it sounds I'm going to incorporate it on every, uh, every podcast from this. Yeah. 31 onward. I'm just going to change the name. Yeah. <laughs> what supercilium means to yeah, you? Yeah, what supercilium yeah. means to you. That'd be a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, shit, y'all. Thank you for hanging out with me and coming in here. I hope you guys had a good time. Hope you had a good time yesterday. Yes. As well. Oh yeah. We did very yeah. much. Yeah. So. Everybody that didn't make it this year, obviously, Bo Jams should be on your calendar for next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll give we'll give it another plug. Bo Jams was a, a, mm-hmm. a big success this as year. And always, I'm really excited. As about always, it. first yeah. fifth year. Yeah, and um, I've made it to four out of the five years. So I'm really happy. except great. for the one year I was in the Keys. Yeah, I made it to four out of the five years, and it's always. Yeah, I feel like it's the better. best lineup that I that mm-hmm. I put together too, and it's just I don't know. It was I'm I'm really like. A lot of me is glad that it's over with because I get what I call Bojams nightmares. Right. That start about a week out. And like, I'll wake up several times through the night just because I'll. I'll have a you know dream about the weather coming in and just because if, if the weather if the weather goes bad, oh, yeah. it's over. It's over. It's, yeah, that's yeah. It. Take take ten grand. And burn it. That's it. Yeah. You know, and probably buy job. Bojams. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um. So, but the funny thing about that is, I actually looked up. When I first started doing uh, bow jams, I looked up in March when the least amount of rain was historically in Destiny, <laughs> nice. and it's the last week of March is your least amount of chance for rain. So I just said at the last Sunday of every March will always be bow jams. Well, it's worked yeah. for you. Yeah. So We're batting a thousand. But the, the only thing is, like, I need to talk to I need to talk to the owner Miller because it's not it's going to get us one year. Oh, yeah, what is the oh, yeah. contingency plan? Yeah, yeah, Bo Jam's nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The year Inside. Bo Jam's died. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, we had a good run, guys. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I, I mean, go go check out some of these places. Yes. Go go to Appalachia, go to yeah. St. George. Don't yeah. be afraid to have yeah. passions. I feel like that's something yeah. people get very jaded with their lives. Yep. They get this routine. Don't be afraid to have passions. Get out there yep. and enjoy things. People feel embarrassed to be overexcited about things. Yeah, you can don't obviously be afraid tell to share your passions. Skip and I are very excited about everything. And yeah. that's, it's, it is uh, It's infectious. an exciting world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you, I think you both uh, are exactly where you should be right now. Uh, yeah. Both with each other in your careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything and that's really exciting to see and I hope everyone who listens I hope it inspires uh, can, other people. can pick up on that's that right. yep. um, I definitely uh, I look forward If uh, I'm assuming you're having a wedding here right like, yeah it's hopefully in Appalachia this coming up winter okay yep. and I'm assuming so, we're invited uh, of course I I'm guess now that I'm ready microphones you have to you, you have to tell wow. me I'm invited yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys are invited that's totally what I did I'm gonna go home and be like we're invited to the wedding yeah I locked it down I did it over the air well, shit, uh, I'm going to go uh, get some food for, for my slightly hungover ass right now. Yeah. Because uh, that needs to happen because that coffee didn't just do it. And I appreciate you guys coming on. Hope you had a good time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll get at you next week. Bye.